Hi, Jimmy here. Welcome to a very, very special bubble episode of Shoulders of Giants. We've been on a bit of a break whilst I'm back in England for a family wedding. As some of you know, having grown up in the same area, Sheppy and I now live on opposite sides of the world in Poland and Australia, respectively. With me being back in the Northern Hemisphere, we took the opportunity to get together in person, something we hadn't achieved in a couple of years to record a podcast. We owe a debt to the fantastic pod hosted by Brett Goldstein, Films to be Buried With, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, etc., for the structure to this podcast. Brace yourself. This is epic. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Who do you see yourself if you were one of those people from succession? Who are you? Oh, I think I've got to be bloody rock, haven't I? Yeah, well, only because of my comment earlier, but you, 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 you're wearing a bit of a ruck jumper at the <laughs> moment. Maybe Tom as well. Oh, no. Poor old McFad. <laughs> yeah, I feel a bit oh, Tommy sometimes. That's brilliant. Oh, you feel, really, I mean, really, he's a horrible person, but you feel sorry for him. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. Spot on, Jimbo. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Maybe it's like, you know, who do I see myself as? Well, I don't know, kind of like Superman, kind of like James Bond. You know, that sort of guy. That's, sort of like, you know, that's how I just sort of see myself. But uh, I don't know. Could, probably because he's the youngest, but I see Roman. Really? Yeah. yeah and also, I do too. enjoy sitting in weird unorthodox positions on chairs so i i've got that you know plus the amount of times i've masturbated in someone's toilet it's <laughs> it sort of writes itself and he default he defaults a cheeky snarky comment as well that's his default isn't it yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. i mean i would like to be logan as of course but i'm not and he's I, the youngest of the family too isn't he ron so that's the sort of is he, young, he is youngest, yeah yeah he? he's the youngest i was wondering with the um God, what's the daughter called again? Right, but no, I think she no. is more or less the same age as, as Kendall. Yeah, yeah. I got. I mean, maybe she's even older. I actually mean to check on this because it could be that she's older and that yeah. would actually work better in that, you know, it's like the succession to the throne. I literally took succession without knowing, <laughs> you know, without thinking about it. But, you know, like, it's like Connie What's-Her-Face from Gladiator oh, what an emperor you would yeah. have been if you were a man. It's that sort of thing. So if she was the oldest from that specific clan, obviously Ruck, but those the, the, the clan, she was the oldest, which I hope she is, because that would work nicely. I'm going to change all my answers to Richard Harris movies. <laughs> I, want more of that. I want more of that. Because, <laughs> yeah, totally. by the way, I think one of the big reference points is King Lear as well. So oh, I like that whole yes. idea of the daughter in succession and that. Yeah, so That's nice. Nice, yeah, yeah, totally, man. Plus the other two dudes are basically bitches. So it works as a three-daughter situation. She's an Aussie. Is Sarah she? Snook. yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I dig well. that. She has eyelids like I do when I don't get enough sleep. <laughs> Which is to say she doesn't have eyelids, which is an interesting look. So so good for her. Um, I'm all about the McFadden. I love McFadden, but my favourite character is only really based on the second episode, but it's Ruck. 
he's developed more and his neuroses have come out but i liked him in the in the second ever episode because he's so untouched by the squalor and the backstabbing he's above it but he's he's it's like he's the half brother but he's not he's the alpha brother he's the oldest son he's the firstborn son but he makes his bread dough and he he's not business orientated at all and he's just doing his own thing and he's untouched by the backstabbing political huge mess which i really really like it's like when you play doom and you play you type in the code say you're on iddqd and you're invincible that's him he's invincible he's walking through a planet of xenomorphs but he can't be hurt and that's how i see ruck but again that's my perception from the second episode when in the hospital when logan's laid up but it, it's really appealing to me so i really like Ruck. that's nice he's He's got developments and twists to come, yes, Sheppy, yes, is all I'll course, say. Yeah, which is nice. So again, I, I specify, second episode, Ruck, will always be special for me, before <laughs> he was tainted by reality. <laughs> but yeah, running for president, not paying taxes. <laughs> it's amazing. What a genius. I'm pretty sure he was 33 when he played Cameron, so at this point he's got to be older than Brian Cox. I don't know. <laughs> I don't amazing. know. I'm, I'm sure I know that. I'm, my mind is telling me he was 33 in 1986, or even 85 when they filmed it. So, That's extra- I hadn't even thought about that dynamic. Yeah. There'll be not much in it, right? That's amazing. I mean, I don't know how old Brian Cox is. We can research this very easily. We're living in the future. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm sure that theoretically, 1986, you've got your Cameron and you've also got your Hannibal Lecter and Manhunter. So there you are. There's your point of reference to where those people were in 1986. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And it could yeah, work. I want to say Cox is 40 aged for, for Hannibal. Right, yeah. yeah. We can, of course, check. But then again, the age of the actors doesn't necessarily represent the age Isn't of the characters. Isn't Hannibal Lecter has made me oh, think. Oh, there you, you know, go. One of my answers got to change. John Penn, because it reflects. If there are changes, by the way, I want both answers. Yeah. Let, let me get let you me a pen. Thoughts. This is one of many moments of moving around. So <laughs> Jimmy has his work cut out for <laughs> Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll fill the space with. Um, a little light whistle. That's rubbish. Absolutely <laughs> rubbish. Let's do a quick introduction. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, hey, all right, listen, everybody. Hello. I'm just going to do the intro, I guess, because you're, you're busy <laughs> doing your homework over there. <laughs> this is Shoulders of Giants. I will say hello. Welcome to Shoulders of Giants. This is Jimmy. Hello. And this is Sheppy. Hello. This is a very, very special episode of Shoulders of Giants. Uh, from what is essentially... A very self-indulgent podcast. This might be the capper of them all. This is uh, uh, an extraordinarily self-indulgent podcast. Um, And I welcome you. Uh, Jimmy welcomes you. The difference here, ultimately, is this is like shoulders of giants by night. Shoulders of giants (laughs) after hours, after dark, uh, after earth. This is, um, well, Jimmy... What's the very special thing about this episode, which is uh, not the case in most episodes, well, in any episode? Sheppy, you have, uh, well, let me just say, invited me into your home. Like a vampire. Exactly. If I happen to have fangs, then um, unlucky for you, Orbeen. And, um, but the But you have invited me into your home and you have 
and basically stood on the shoulders of one Brett Goldstein and his podcast films to be buried with and, and tabled a number of questions and some more questions for us in uh, I, I suppose to, to kind of just have a bit of a bit of a rambling chat speaking of rambling chat Jimmy that is wonderful but what I really was getting at is that we're in the same room uh, which is which is what the special thing about this we'll get to the Brett Goldstein bless him bless everything um for, for, your, for your listener I'm sure you're aware of this or maybe you're not Maybe you don't care, but usually when we record these podcasts, Jimmy is in Australia and I am in Poland, and we have a bit of a time difference. So usually it rounds out that when we record these, it's nine o'clock in the evening for me, and I'm drinking my double tea bags, and that sounds a bit bit rude. And Jimmy is like five o'clock in the morning in Oz. I couldn't operate like that at five in the morning, but that's Jimmy's special power. Now, what's different here is, like a vampire, or a leech, or a succubus, uh, Jimmy has invaded my home, like in the original uh, Ethan Hawke-led... <laughs> I want to say the raid. It's not the raid. It's... Oh, the one with the yes, purge. The, the purge. purge. Yeah. It's like the purge. We're in the same time zone. We're in the same room. Jimmy is in Poland. And may he always leave. I will say this... <laughs> So this is going to be a very different, because normally, like I say, I'm on the tea, Jimmy is on the coffee, whereas today, I won't lie, we're, we're both on the beer. So this is going to be, we've got a dog next to us who might bark, we have people who might walk through, there's going to be background noise, it's going to be a mess. So this is a messy, <laughs> a messy podcast. But whilst we're together, and this is the first time Jimmy and I have been physically in the same space for almost three years... So we couldn't meet without recording one of these, but we're doing a very different special bubble episode, which is basically just ramble and mess. And you might say that's exactly the same as every single episode. <laughs> but we have, um, as Jimmy mentioned, a set line of questions, which I have 97% lifted from a much better podcast because I listen, and so does Jimmy, to the podcast, and it's been mentioned on this podcast before, uh, the Brett Goldstein podcast, Films to be Buried With, where he asks his guest various film-related questions, and they're basically the same questions every week. And I've been listening to this for over a year, and I always sort of think, oh, I wonder what Jimmy's answer to this would be, or my answer, or anyone's answer. So whilst we're together, we're drinking beer, like hardcore people, We've got a dog, we've got noise, <laughs> and to stop us from totally going off on one, we have the through line of these questions. We are standing on the shoulders of Brett Goldstein for this podcast. So by all means, please listen to Films to be Buried with with Brett Goldstein because it's very good. And kudos to him. Could I have written my own questions to keep us online? Probably. But I, I listen to this podcast and I'm interested. The whole basis of this podcast is standing on our betters. And so we are now standing on Brett Goldstein's betters. So there you go. <laughs> so that's basically the sum up of this particular meeting. Uh, it's very exciting and hopefully not totally horrible to your ears. You might hear the dog. You, I mean, you will hear the dog. 
more, much more than usual. And I'm very excited. <laughs> Jimmy, welcome. Let's give them a taste of a clink to prove we're here. Pod.com. Uh, there's a little fire, thing. by the way. Does anyone ever told you? Yes, but usually when I am on fire, <laughs> which is a whole different story. But I will say this. Um, in terms of this, the questions we have, they're very nice. They're going to sort of keep us on, on the street and narrow. And by all means, anyone listening to this, anyone out there, some of the questions uh, we have sort of answered on the pod site, um, but we will elaborate, we will do alternatives and so forth. Um, I'm very excited. One question that I've always liked asking people is what's the first film you saw at the cinema? And there's a variation on that. I'm very, very happy and very excited to hear Jimmy's uh, special answers to these. And Jimmy, I have to say, it's like you say, it's very exciting us being in the same space, sharing these happy memories. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I mean, look, I don't know. I was trying to be sincere. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's, that's the best you're going to get. Your eyes almost looked real. <laughs> My eyes almost looked real. Well, I mean, if that's not a glowing endearment, an endorsement, I, I don't know what is. Thank you, Jimmy. I've often oh. prided myself on my almost real eyes. I genuinely, I almost feel like there's a couple where we should try and guess what she, each other's oh, answers would nice. be. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's a lovely idea. Funny. Well, that's but, very um, nice. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> we can just dive straight in, straight off, right off the bat, I think is a, is a nice thing. And I'm very happy that the first question now, this question is basically, what's the first film you remember seeing? And of course, memories play tricks. They all blend in and out. On the podcast website, the question is, what's the first film you saw at the cinema? And your answer, Jimmy, was Mary Poppins. Yes, it was. Yeah. Which is amazing. And mine is officially Condor Man. Now, that was 1981. So I was actually three um at that point which is impressive i was edging towards four but i was at that point still three and it was one week where my siblings and i were taken to the cinema twice i think it was the easter holidays um by our dad who according to my sister he he did it because he didn't know what else to do with us so we went to the cinema twice whilst we were under his care for that week and we saw two films and we saw fewer eyes only and we saw condor man and i don't remember seeing Fewer Eyes Only at all but I was there it's been documented it's proven I wasn't left at home when I was three but I don't remember it but the same week I do remember seeing Condor Man I don't obviously remember the whole film but I remember coming out of the cinema seeing a big cardboard cutout in the foyer of the cinema of the yellow um, is it a Citroen the yellow car with the bullet holes in the back yeah. and it was just the car in cardboard with the bullet holes and that might just be it might not even have said it might have said like 007 but there was no there was nothing else and I remember that and I remember certain bits in the cinema watching Condor Man which has Michael Crawford and the chick from Never Say Never Again and Oliver Reed and your friend and mine the guy from Teen Wolf and, oh, and the cat yeah. from Outer Space <laughs> so there you go precedent um, I remember seeing that. I remember going home and my brother and I um, shared a bedroom and we were playing Condor Man with our toy cars. And I remember that very, very clearly. For years, I thought I the first film I saw at the cinema was Star Trek 2. 
Yeah, I remember you telling me Star Trek. Yeah, exactly right. I remember sitting in Cranley Cinema before the curtains, that's right, the curtains opened and the film started. Dan, 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 get the munchies, bam, bam, bam. Um, but that was 1982, uh, whereas Condor Man and Eyes Only was 81. So there you go. It, it wasn't Star Trek 2, as I had said for years, decades. I bragged. <laughs> Wasn't there a story, though, when you were in Rathacan, someone stole your teddy? No. Peely and started throwing it around the cinema. That's Was not that... true. <laughs> I'm misremembering your own childhood. You're giving it more cinema screen time. than uh, You're making it more cinematic and cool. <laughs> no. Uh, I have um, a cuddly Scotty dog. I love the present tense. I, yeah. I mean, he's in Cornwall, but he's still there. I say hello to him every time I visit. <laughs> he was my special... I mean, you could say teddy, but that means bear or, you know, like 90. But he's a, he's a little Scotty dog with a zip in his belly where you could stash like a, a gun if you wanted to. Like I did. I had like a metal cap gun. I'd take him to France and it set off the metal detector. But it was the early 80s. <laughs> oh, that dog's got a metal gun in it. Off you go, little boy. <laughs> I know. He's, Pilo, the dog, was technically uh, a, um, a pajama case. So oh, you yeah. would unzip his belly and pop in your pyjama, pajamas and take out your jammies. I never put pajamas in there. I put in metal guns. I got given a metal Luger from Santa Claus one year. And I took that to France on holiday and set off the metal detector, but everyone loved it. Um, and I also put weird things in, like those little things from a Kinder Surprise, the little yellow bits where you know, from inside. That was in there, but with fluff from my cat Polly like I would store inside the dog and all sorts of things so anyway I had this dog and I would leave him everywhere I left him at my grandparents I left him on planes I left him everywhere not because I didn't love him I do love him I've always loved Pilo but I just left him I was a little kid and I just left him everywhere so I see Star Trek 2 I go home realize I left Pilo in the cinema and I don't remember any of this. I don't remember watching Star Trek 2. I remember sitting in the cinema before the curtains opened. And I remember being back home afterwards and realising that I left Pilo at the cinema. And I remember being in the kitchen in my house in Cranley with my mum. And we're waiting for my dad to come back because he had driven back to the cinema to retrieve Pilo. And, and that's that's it. It's so no throwing, no, no nothing really. But I left Pilo. And my memories of that cinematic experience is waiting for Pilo to be brought back to me for the millionth time because I left him everywhere. Um, so, so officially, Condor Man is the first film I remember seeing at the cinema. But I also saw Superman 1 and 2, but it was a re-release. So I don't actually know what year that was. when I saw, It was like a double bill and we saw them in the wrong order. We saw Superman 2 and then Superman. And I remember sitting in the cinema during the bit in Superman 1 where Lex Luthor is telling Superman his plan and he's they're in Lex's lair yeah. and they're standing on the map and he's talking about like the earthquake and stuff and I remember during that scene a guy got up and walked out to go to the toilet presumably and I remember thinking very clearly when I was like three or four why is that guy leaving he's going to miss everything and I don't remember him coming back <laughs> but I guess he thought it's a boring exposition moment I'm going to go for a wee so I assume he came back but that took me out of the film it's like when you get woken up from a dream from a dog barking or a car yeah. alarm and you remember like two seconds of the dream and that's it so I remember that because the guy broke my concentration by the way 
during the same sitting there was a this is Guildford in the early 80s not that long after like Daniel Day-Lewis blew up a pub in Guildford so there was a bomb scare Daniel Day-Lewis blew up a pub <laughs> there was a bomb scare at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford halfway through Superman 1 and 2 and we all had to go out um, because there were IRA bombings at the time not in Guildford after that but you never know so I remember waiting outside the cinema to go back in after they had checked for bombs and things and I remember my mum bought me either a Batman or a Spider-Man comic whilst we waited outside I remember that so that's another early memory in terms of cinema so there you go but my official answer is Condor Man and I always liked films and I always watched millions of films so it all jumbles together but that's kind of my official answer um, I'm similarly jumbly Sheppy I'm going to give you two little anecdotes beyond my Mary Poppins I I remember Mary Poppins and I remember it being a big deal it was my my first movie and I remember coming back home and telling people Mary Poppins was the first thing I'd seen so Mm. I know that is pretty cast iron was this in London? yeah it was in London and then I remember also in London and it may even be earlier than Mary Poppins and my mum is recalibrating my memory but before my dad left um, he took me to E.T. and um, and that would have been like 81, 82 82 82 so I'm 5 or whatever maybe coming up to it but basically so it might be E.T. and I remember my dad falling asleep during <laughs> E.T. and at the end I was pulling my eyes out and I looked at him and he was like oh that was very sad wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you were snoring throughout all of it <laughs> That was his thing, sleeping, but um, which I seem to have inherited sometimes. <laughs> and, um, and then the other one I just wanted to share with you because I think you'll find it funny, um, or not funny, but just in character. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I remember quite vividly. This is a really vivid cinema experience of mine, and it's quite like weird. But um, when my nan lived in Brighton, um, Mutti, um, she had uh, she was in a semi-detached, so she was basically attached to another house. Whenever we're playing ball in the back garden, our ball would always go over into the next lady's garden. And then, um, and basically, there was a so she was another little old lady living on her own. And um, and so, whenever we went around there, you know, she'd give us the ball and probably some inappropriate sweeties or something. But anyway, the, <laughs> I mean, now I'm just seeing sweeties sh- like shaped like cocks or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I happened to go round for the ball this one Saturday morning or something or Sunday morning. And, um, and it turns out she said to me as she picked up in the door and she she said look we've we've got my family here and we're all off to go and see the jungle book this afternoon do you want to come and join us james and i was like oh and well go and speak to my mummy or whatever you know so i um go and do that and then of course sure enough before i know what i'm packed off to the brighton odeon and it with with randoms nice and it's me plus this family and we go and watch the jungle book and at the end i can't i remember vividly i could not wrap my head's around, head around why Mowgli, who'd had all these adventures with Baloo and Bagheera, would then actually end up going to the man village at the end. Yeah. I just didn't get it. For me, it was the saddest possible ending. Yeah. I just couldn't understand it. And maybe it's why it took so long to get married. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like just, there's a lot of psychoanalysis too. But I remember vividly then, after the movie, going to McDonald's, and over my little Happy Meal, like being really upset and sad. 
and everyone not really understanding, you know, why there I was upset go. and sad. But I, th- I thought it was the saddest movie I'd ever seen. You want to hang out um, with animals far away from humanity without any interaction, <laughs> let alone with the, the opposite sex. Now, I understand. <laughs> why have a woman when you could have a bear? Uh, I totally get it. <laughs> I've been there myself. Listen, um, in terms of all of that, I actually do remember going to see The Jungle Book as well when I was a kid. So, so It must have been a reissue for us, Of course. Right? We weren't alive then, in the 60s. But maybe the same reissue. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Like oh, well, with that in mind, do you think the Odeon, where you saw The Jungle Book in Brighton, was the same one two decades, well, like 10 years later, you and I watched Mrs. Doubtfire and The Flintstones? Yeah, I definitely do. That's wonderful. Yeah. You see, yeah. it all ties around. The Flintstones. Yes, that's I remember right. that, and then we tried to walk back to her house. Same house. Oh, look I at think, this. I think different old lady next door. I don't think she lasted long. Oh, that's awkward. After I poisoned her Happy Meal for not understanding John Robert. <laughs> Very awkward. <laughs> but fair enough. All the revelations coming out today, I can dig it. <laughs> what Shall I ask you the second, Sheppy, just to flip it? I don't know why, but um, what is the film that makes you cry the most and you put in brackets, you soft boy, which is definitely directed at me because I'm a big Well, no, let me be clear. That's a reference to Brett Goldstein who who calls people like, I'm, I'm, I'm here with, with a very special guest. <laughs> he's he's a boxer. He's he's a, a finder jobber. He, he's an author. He's a writer. He's a good boy. He's a soft boy. Like he's here. I can't even believe it. He's right here right now. It's Jimbo. <laughs> That's my Brett Goldstein. To be clear, I was calling you a soft boy, but but only in that I was doing it in a Roy Kent voice. Um, the Jeff, film that yes, future. that's what I said. Pay attention. If I want a beer, I'll let you know. This is all going on the cutting room floor. I'm coming across as far too aggressive in a lot of this. <laughs> um, well, not to repeat myself too much, but the film that traditionally does make me cry is Star Trek II. Uh, I have a thing for male friendship when it's done nicely in films. And w- the end, yeah, you know, hell of a thing when Spock died. Yeah, where you shut off in that great big sunglasses case. So, <laughs> Star Trek Two is my standard answer. Um, I don't know if it may. I mean, do you generally? Yeah, do you generally cry? I mean, are you a crier? <sighs> yes, but not the things you'd expect. Like it tends to be the music cue or the like when they're laying it on thick. Mm. I don't normally go for it. You right, know, yeah, I, I think the only time I fell for it was my girl. <laughs> Jesus There's not anything written down here. No. You just triggered it. That but, is um, mad. Um, no, fair yeah, enough. I think when, when you know they're playing you, you know, that, that's hard. Ah, well, I had a film lecturer called Les, and he didn't like Armageddon. I remember he came in, and he was like, I saw Armageddon, and I didn't like it. I was like, well, fair enough. And he was like, it made me cry. I'm like, well, uh, really? He's like, yeah, it manipulated me. It, it forced the tears from my eyes. I remember he was so angry that he was duped by Bay into crying at Armageddon. So he doesn't like being manipulated by film. Um, that's for Dark Side to Spielberg. Of course, he does lay it on thick. Not that he directed that, but you know what I mean? So there's, there's that element saying that. And also, by the way, establishing that you bawled your eyes out to your snoring father's indifference in E.T. But then again, you were a little kid, so it doesn't count. I do remember seeing E.T. 
I don't think I cried. I'm a bit too tough for that. But I will say it wasn't until later I started to feel more comfortable crying in films. And uh, and you apparently cried in My Girl. Was it spoilers? <laughs> I don't want to talk about My Girl. Was it Macaulay <laughs> meeting his fate? Yeah, with the bumblebees. I never saw yeah. My Girl, by the way. Oh, spoiler. But, well, there you go. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, spoiler to me for just mentioning the fact that Macaulay Culkin gets eaten by bees. But, fair enough. Because I would cry just seeing Dan Aykroyd's career go down the path. But nonetheless, <laughs> that's valid. Valid, sir. Um, so, What's so, your formal answer, Star Trek 2? Well, Star Trek 2 is my formal answer, but I will say this. Um, about a year ago or so, Marta and I watched a whole bunch of... Um, Christopher Guest films we I mean we, we started with Spinal Tap and all that but we, then we moved on to his directorial films uh we so uh, you know Waiting for Guffman Mighty Wind Best in Show and it was during a Mighty Wind now I've only seen this film once so I can't say it made me cry the most but in the in Mighty Wind little spoiler but the Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara characters are this old um like folk group from like back in the day and they're famous and they're icons to the young up-and-comer folk group people and they haven't been together for a long time and they you know they've had all this sort of like bad history for decades and all this stuff uh and you know of course it's amazing i've not seen it it's amazing it's really good and eugene levy is you know slightly i mean slow let's say he's emotionally perhaps backward a bit as you can imagine and his relationship with the Catherine O'Hara is so deep and you know there's been so many so much darkness and fights and anger and hate it's a real Simon and Garfunkel type thing but also they've come out the other end and that in itself is ancient history at this point you know they've been through a lot over the decades and they have now come back together for this big event for all these folk singers in this fake documentary and about i don't know towards the end of the film um they sing together and it's the first time they've sung together for many years and all the younger people um everyone the the jaded young people the people who are too cool for school everyone they're like and i've forgotten the name it's like mickey and mallory but that's natural born killers but it's something like mickey and mallory and they're like mickey and mallory are singing and everyone get up and they're all in like the confectory or you know something like that and or backstage in the green room and everyone get up and they rush out and it was that and i just had tears burst from my face streaming down my face it was just i was like mickey and mallory are singing and everyone stands up and it slayed me and i don't even know exactly why but i sat there with a wet face and a wet chin and a quivering lip and a (laughs) ruined t-shirt so um so that's my secondary answer it doesn't really make sense it doesn't answer the question because it it was only the one i think it's a subcategory though sheppy a wonderful subcategory it's like the rug pull Mm. and and not not a uber manipulated rug no exactly just like a a moment Mm. i can't really do any better it was so human I think it, yeah. it was something connected to their relationship and their history and they've been through so much shit but they're legends yeah. and, and it tran, trans, you know, goes through everything. So that, that I think is what triggered it. But yes, yeah, exactly. It's like with you, Jimmy, it, it's not a, a massive emotional manipulation. It was, it was much more subtle than that. And so that, that's my second answer. Um, I love it. 
I will say I cry more. But I, I cry more since my grandma died. Now, that was like about 12 years ago. But that kind of unlocked something. And I cry much more easily since then. So, yeah, it was much, much, much more rare. It was only Star Trek II pre-2009. With perhaps a win-win spine shiver induced eye water from Rocky Two, but that's not really the same thing. <laughs> win-win. So Star Trek Two is my official answer because I've cried at that more than once. But and and I've recounted that the scene in Star Trek Two to people before, and and it made me well up. But again, that's all down to this sort of deep thing. It's all mixed in with a lot of different stuff and friendship and all that. And I love that film very deeply. So there's that as well, and probably makes me think of Pilo being left alone at the cinema. So there's, <laughs> there's that angle. But um, so so that's my double answer. Do you have? Look, I've got a, I've got some subby categories here, so I'll go for it, Sheppy. I'll say them quickly though. So I think the um, film that makes me cry the most. Look, I think the the answer, the formal answer, will be Shawshank Redemption mm. for lots of similar reasons. On the rough with the male friendship, the whole thing, yeah. the score, when it starts, it's there, it's all there. It just makes me happy. And it's not a bawling cry, it's just a very happy, wet wet eyes. Oh, Let's wet eyes. the wet eye. Yes. Um, then I think, like, the um, the one that is probably objective is, like, a very famous family story where my mum rented the champ and, like, oh. it was me, my little sister, and my little sister's friend, and we watched the champ. And then when my little sister's friend's mum came to pick that girl up... Um, yeah, it was what have you done to my daughter? Like everybody was like more just it was it was it was a it was a devastation. Um, um, yeah, hotlines were called. <laughs> Carers came in. Like what's happening behind these closed yeah. doors? Can I say very quickly? That's exactly what happened with with my family. Um, my mum and my sister, my older sister, loved love 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 the champ and they would watch it and they would cry and i saw it and i think i don't think i cried honestly because i'm a tough boy but nonetheless <laughs> it moved me i was more of a somewhere in time sort of guy but nonetheless exactly the same thing happened a friend of my sister's came my mum and my sister and my mum and my sister's friend they watched the champ and there were tears many many tears and then my sister's friend's mum came and it's exactly the same people were called care workers arrived helicopters flew in so so maybe this <laughs> is something in like the 80s every sister and sister's friend were traumatized <laughs> by this and and so that's very interesting to me and then I'll, I'm going to give you like a little extra category that we haven't covered yet in this uh, in this genre or this little question genre Sheppy, which is the I will approach with caution because I know it's going to be perceived as ridiculous how much it impacts me. So um, I, um, I'll give you one that actually might not be as ridiculous, but um, but Lion, have you seen that with no, David Patel? No, I won't ruin it for you. I will just simply say we started watching it. G wasn't feeling it, took stuff off to bed. The twist is we were watching it with the in-laws, with her mum and dad. Uh -huh. And then um, that film builds and builds and builds and then uber builds to this crescendo of emotion, let's just say. I don't want to ruin any further than mm. that because it's really worth a look. It's yes. an incredible movie. And, like, I was overwhelmed at the end in front of the in-laws. <laughs> like, it was so awkward. So I would really approach that with caution. But I'll tell you <laughs> even more, like, now, like, I... Um, I approach with caution even more Rocky, oh, the original Rocky, yeah. because I was watching it with G, and 
Rocky walks into the pet shop in the first bloody, like, maybe scene four or something of Rocky. Yeah. And, like, the music swells. You know his whole trajectory with Adrian. You know win-win and beyond. Mm. Oh, my God, man. Mm. Like, <laughs> I tell you, that that triggers me, even though it's stupid. Like, he's just meeting a... Well, you know, you know what it is? <laughs> he talks to Cuff and Link, his little to- uh, tortoises, yeah, yeah. And, and he practices his jokes on them and then you see him go in there and you you see why he's been practicing his jokes yeah. and he does it he gives it a try you know show shock and all of that um so yeah even without knowing about we win win and all and the rest it just from that one film which does work as a bubble i watch rocky and i don't think in a few years rocky 2 will happen for these people it really is like it's a yeah. you know, self-contained film and it is, yeah, it's powerful. powerful it's stuff. as real as it gets, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that always is like one of those. And I just wanted to also just give an honourable mention for what you were talking about there, that kind of, I don't know, the, I, the that sort of surprise overwhelm maybe, and that just sort of, I guess, for me, I remember watching Killing Fields. Have you seen that? Like Long time ago. At the end, just whoosh, like mm. when they get reunited, mm. the two friends. That I found overwhelming. And I think Diving Bell and the Butterfly has a whoosh moment as well where, um, I don't know if you've seen that one, but yeah, um, yeah he just starts reciting a poem. And like, oh, not poem, it's his own prose, but it just feels like a poem the way he writes it, you know, but you know that has been dictated from this guy's eyeball. And what he's talking about, his appreciation for life, is just overwhelming as well, I think. But, um, nice. but look, my... Uh, my my formal answer is is going to be Shawshank. Yep, that's that's good stuff. Is it what what point in the film is it the sanding the boat beach reunion? I think no, actually it's not. I think it's is it when Brooks, he refuses to give the guy the blowjob and you're like <laughs> that's so unfair. When you need one, you need one. Just do it, Andy. For God's sake, pull it together. I'm going, man. I'm going with stats here, Sheppy. I'm going with milliliters of tear over mm. time. Because I believe it's going to be the movie I watch the most that I know will make me cry the most. Do you know what I mean? That'll keep yes. going back to. It's not one where I think, oh, I won't watch Lion again because I'm going to make a big soppy puddle. Mm. Like, it's basically looking at it as like Britain versus Australia here. I could watch an Australia where I'm going to get a gazillion tons of literage of rain in one hit. Mm. Or I know I'm just going to get little dribbles in a Shawshank, basically. Yeah. And um, Little and dribbles in a Shawshank <laughs> is the name of my 18th autobiography. <laughs> and, um, and I'm basically going to just have little moments and bro- it starts with Brooks. Mm-hmm. It starts with Brooks mm-hmm. getting out there into the big wide world. Right. And, you know, and then I the... don't know, everyone got themselves in a big goddamn hurry or whatever, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. It's like too much, man. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. And then, then from there on, I'm a, I'm a soppy. It really soppy. was a Shawshank redemption. Because you know, last man on earth <laughs> reference. Goodness, <laughs> right? Okay, cool, sorry. <laughs> I thought he was talking about his willy then. I just didn't know what. I didn't know what well, I mean, I'm trying to mask my disappointment with the dog affection, but fine, whatever. Give it a stroke, love. Aww. This willy's not going <laughs> to. It's not going to stroke itself. Oh it? my god. <laughs> that's staying in. <laughs> well, so that's what she said. Amazing. Um, they make that amazing in American Office, right? Yes. Um, fair play to all of that. Going nice. back to number one for a second, jumping all over the place, I will say this, because I wanted to mention it, in terms of first films, cinema, yeah. blah, blah, blah. 
some people didn't go to the cinema till like 10, which I find ludicrous. But I will say this. One thing I remember is I remember when we got a VHS player recorder uh, machine. I remember when we got it in the house and it must have been very early 80s. And we got it and I remember dad bringing it home and it wasn't Betamax, it was proper VHS. And we put it in and on TV was the late 70s cartoon of The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe. And we recorded that. And that was a film uh, that I watched many, 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 many times, um, as much as Star Wars, if not more. It really, I, I saw that film with my siblings uh, very much over over the 80s, hundreds of times, maybe three or four times a week for like several years. Anyway, I remember running down the stairs in my house in Cranley and my dad, I think, calling, saying, Ben the film starting and him pressing record on the video and i remember i don't know if you remember this jim but all my my stairs in my house in cranley and green carpet and it went down but then it curved at the bottom yeah. like three steps I remember. and what i used to do was i'd run down the stairs and grab the pillar and then jump and spin like a like a sexy flash dance <laughs> around the, the pole and then let go and land like a cool boy like a cool boy and then run into the lounge and i would do that all the time but i do it more so of course the more uh, excited i was and in this case I was excited because like ben the film's starting i was like ooh, a film ooh. so i remember that i don't remember watching the film lion witch and the wardrobe for the first time but i remember running into the lounge it's a real the yellow car from for your eyes only want to be in that i don't remember the film but i remember that so i remember running in to watch the film and but i don't remember the first time i saw that film but on that videotape, yeah, I, I mean, I saw that uh, so many times to the point where me and my siblings can just do the film. You know, that's amazing. You know, now, yeah. So, so there you go. So that's just another one I wanted to throw in for one first film I remember seeing. That's lovely. Not that I remember seeing it, but I remember the moment before seeing it. So there you go. That was early. So that's nice. That's so awesome, Sheppy. I love it. You took me back to your place, and I just. Honestly, if a genie appeared right now and gave me an option to time travel to different points, in my top five would just be to want to go back to 22 Taylor's Crescent and just have a Saturday in that house again yeah. with you, man. That'd be amazing. I mean, honestly, seeing those photos you showed me earlier of like Ed and Ellery Close, I'm like, oh, it's all the angles you don't remember. Yeah, I agree. sofas appealing. you don't remember. <laughs> just as amazing. It makes me very, very happy. What film do you like which no one else likes? You love it, but they say it's rubbish and you're like, you're all full of shit.
<laughs> You're Roy Kent. It's not amazing. good. No, I don't think it is. But thank you for indulging me. Uh, well, look, 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 look. I'm going to say here that um, I've got three cop-outs. You're going to call all three cop-outs, but I have got three answers for you. Are all um, three answers the movie cop-out? Because no one likes that film. <laughs> that could be it. But this isn't... I, I. This is the one I've struggled with the most. It's even got a little dash next to it, which is like, come back to this one. Mm. And I, I, I still haven't got it yet. So maybe when you talk, I might find something else. But let me say this. Braveheart, I loved I loved, 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 and loved it, loved it, loved it. Mel Gibson obviously is semi-cancelled now, if not totally, and and also at the time people didn't really like it, and I I sort of was baffled as to why people were a bit anti it, and I sort of I mean at the time it's still I, I know a lot of people do like it as well. That's no, but I mean at the time you're saying people didn't like it because well, I remember people just losing their shit. That's right. Well, the, the funny thing is, like, it was a big question because I did, I did English for film studies at uni. This is 97. So it was Braveheart 95. Yeah. So let's just say two years later. Yeah. By then. Okay. The, the, at the that video point, had come out. The video had come they out. They had reassessed <laughs> yeah. and they weren't on board. And, and I've got to say, like, it just, when people were asking, what's your favourite film? And I say Braveheart, they were like, oh, we're going to go and hang out with the cooler kids at this corner of the studio. I mean, I guess unless they were Scottish, they probably wouldn't be on board. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's a very fair assessment. So there's that. I think that's quite a big one for me because it was, you know, it was it was, it was one of those, in a mini couple of year period, it defined me as like, oh, Jimmy's favourite movie is Braveheart and I would get Braveheart birthday cards sort of thing. Um, then, <laughs> what um, does a Braveheart birthday card look like? I don't know, but just um, <laughs> they can take your presents, but they'll never take your freedom. Oh, um, I love that. But then a couple of little, not necessarily um, big ones, but just to say this, I mean, even just recently um, going on Eddie's uh, stag do, meeting his best man, who's a massive movie geek, nice. and my little brother is so nervous because... I, I basically embody all the things he likes about Eddie, but I'm a massive movie geek too, and Eddie just isn't. So he's really worried about it, worried about it. And so we've been, um, over the course of Eddie Stag Weekend, we had loads of film quotes between one another that he just didn't expect me to get, and all that, and it was very happy. Nice. And then, I think on day three, I throw this to him and say, you know, have you seen Vacation? And he's like, oh... Um, I've seen Christmas Vacation, like you know, and and that I'm just—it's a cop out, but I'm just telling you, like, whenever I talk about Vacation, everyone's seen and loves Christmas Vacation, yeah, but I feel like a pariah, much preferring Wally World, you know. And I know there's enough of us that no, prefer it's, Wally it's, World. It's a really—it's—it's. It's, I think I've said this before in terms of like Christmas films and so on. People fucking love Christmas Vacation, and so many people. It seems to me the vast majority go, "Oh, there's another Vacation," let alone three other vacations but it's like oh really because it's christmas vacation and it's almost like saying i don't know isn't live and let die the best film ever made what do you mean diamonds are forever <laughs> <laughs> although that's really unfair what i should say i guess is like view to a kill is the best film ever made what do you mean live and let die it's 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 that but you're absolutely right people fucking love christmas vacation and they don't necessarily even know about the original yeah Totally, and that's exactly where I'm going with that one, Sheppy. And then my third one. I mean, uh, I will say this. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really that people don't like the original Vacation. No. They are simply unaware that it, is, it exists because they like the... Look, I don't want to offend anyone, but it's an inferior sequel. It's worse than European. I've said it. Yeah. I've said it. I agree with you. And European is no walk in the park. 
No. And I, and that's that's me basically being a bit of a dick with the question. It's basically taking it and saying the film that you know you like, which no one else likes. It's being that's it's playful. Okay. They're not being a dick. They just don't know it exists. If they knew it existed, they'd love it. Not necessarily. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably not, because they're idiots. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're not idiots. Maybe you are. <laughs> and then similar vein but um, a lot of people love uh, Muppets Christmas Carol but I'm a Scrooge guy in the Dickens okay. interpretation like if, if it's going to be of the two I'm Scrooge but by the way saying people love Muppet Christmas Carol so therefore they don't like Scrooge speaking as someone where Muppet Christmas Carol is their favourite film Christmas film of all time but still second favourite Muppet film but you know, it, no one dislikes, as far as I'm aware, the original Muppet movie. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the no one else likes bit that yes. that doesn't hold up to. I totally agree with that. Um, very interesting take on the Christmas Carol, but that's a whole <laughs> bloody can of worms. Let's not go down. But I, I saw my formal answer has to be Braveheart. So. Mm. All right. Um, good stuff. I love it. Um, yeah, no, I love it. In, in terms of me, uh, I have to say, film that I've always in fact there are two films and it, um, it's part one and part two essentially which no one seems to like um, I'll say quickly Thor the Dark World no mm. one seems to love I genuinely I don't think it's, it's necessarily as it's, it's certainly not as inventive as Ragnarok and so on people generally really shit when people talk about bad MCU films they talk about Thor the Dark World and the Incredible Hulk generally um, and maybe Ant-Man 2 and I have to say I first of all I love the Incredible Hulk but that's because I love the Incredible Hulk the, the character and it, and it sort of pays homage to the TV show plus it's Norton so that's one thing Thor the Dark World I genuinely think is really good it doesn't have a memorable villain which is a big problem, um, but the but everything else, the tone is great. The relationship between Loki and Thor is amazing. Uh, Jane has you know is is good. I don't know. I really like Thor: The Dark World, so that's one. But I will also say the mid two thousand like two thousand and five, um, also uh, Fantastic Four film. You know, Ooh. with what's his face and Jessica Alba and Chris yes. Evans yeah, yeah. and Michael Chiklis. Um, I, I, I like that film very much and I like the sequel The Rise of the Silver Surfer very much no one has ever liked those films as far as I'm aware I saw the first film those at the cinema answers. it's very slight the first film it's three stars but it's good and every single time every single time it's probably maximum four times I've seen Fantastic Four but every time I see it I'm like it's shit, it's shit, it's shit. It's a real Predators wannabe. And then I see it, I'm like, it's fucking great. It's fun, it's good. Okay, it's it's slight, it doesn't, it's not weighty, but it's it's good. And and Rise of the Silver Surfer as well. So that's my other answer. And one more answer, I really like the Peacemaker. Um, the Clooney Kidman yeah. from from ninety seven. I've seen that. I don't remember a scene from. No that. one remembers it. It's not that no one likes that film. <laughs> Everyone instantly forgot about that film, <laughs> and I've always thought it's a really good action film. It's 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 great. It's well edited. It's well directed. It's well acted. It's well written. 
the, the action scenes are great. It's got a kind of a hard edge. Clooney executing this dude because they killed his friend from Shine. It's really, I love The Peacemaker. So there you go. So that's my other one. And for an extra bonus, just for Bond, I don't know if people like Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, people generally, in terms of Brosnan, always like Goldeneye. And I like Goldeneye. But I, I love Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, it does have a weak performance from Price and it has issues. But actually, it's easily my favourite Brosnan. And honestly, it, it's in my top six or seven Bond films of all time. I love Tomorrow Never Dies. I'm with you. That's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. call there, Sheppy. Quantum, by the way, mm. also is, is an interesting one I to throw into that a mix as well. I comeback. Is it? Oh, I think okay. so. I might be wrong. I might Screw be wrong. the people and their liking. But I think uh, <laughs> you're wow. right on the money with tomorrow. Nice. I and I, I have time for Quantum of Sausage, by the way. But it's, it's my second favourite Craig, I'll tell you that, after Casino. But there's, and there's a massive fucking drop-off after those first two. And I know people love Skyfall. But no, fuck it. Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Clank can all fuck off. <laughs> None, but there you go. Do you know what time it is? It's time to clank. So there you go. Uh, good stuff, Jimmy. All right, Sheppy, I'm going to move on to question four, which is what's a film you used to like and don't anymore? This was what the second hardest question yeah, for I me. Yeah, I agree. I'm really hard, hard this. Honestly, maybe it's because I, I dig nostalgia, but I don't think I dislike any film that I used to like. I really don't. I mean, there are films that I watched when I was a kid that I liked that if I watched now, I probably wouldn't. I'm going to say, see no evil, hear no evil. But I haven't <laughs> seen it for 30 years. I have thought of it for I'm assuming years. it's shit. You and I, Jimmy, fucking loved see no evil, hear no evil. <laughs> We're in a warehouse and you just hit a cow. I mean, that Fuzzy Wuzzy itself, was a woman. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a woman. So, you know, I think we should kill them. That's Kevin Spacey. Um, the, uh, I, I don't think I would like it if I saw it now, but I haven't seen it now, so I haven't, I haven't a leg to stand on. Um, that's, my only, that's the only thing I could think of. That's an amazing answer. Can I give you... I've got two perhaps controversial oh, God. throwdowns Do on it. this. Do it. Which is... It's less about hate or don't like anymore. It's just more exhausted at the prospect of a rewatch oh. and and both are quite controversial one of them i've mentioned on the pod before i think so i'll gloss over it but i attempted revenge of the sith on a flight recently right and the first five minutes were unwatchable interesting i could just see ewan and hayden in their little plastic right. things like with cgi flashing around them yeah. and they were just saying the lines and i was like oh this, I, I'm too exhausted to even contemplate this now. <laughs> that's such a shame because I remember the first 15 minutes yeah. being so strong. Yeah, I mean, that's my favourite part. And all that sort of easily stuff my favourite part of the whole film. I know, and I, I didn't even get to that. I didn't nice. get out of the air battle. Maybe I should have done that. Yeah. It would have been better, but I just I, I couldn't face it. And like, Dare so I say like, that was a, an exact moment in time, and maybe if you did rewatch it, you would feel exactly the same, but... Maybe, yeah, sometimes you're just not in the mood. You know, in conditions, exactly that. Conditions got to be perfect. Yeah. And like, conditions, conditions are were perfect. the worst. They were the worst, I think. And everything, every line was flat. And I was yeah. like, oh, 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 oh. Well, that sums up the prequel trilogy in it. <laughs> but yes, yes. And then the other one, oh, I don't know if I should say this and be able to still be able to be in your house, Sheppy. <laughs> um, look, it's not like I don't like this. Let me be very clear. But the prospect of rewatching it right now, I need 
a lot. It would be a lot to get over the line. Back to the Future 3, man. Oh, no, God, no. Hey, listen, this is slightly controversial. Pob the Pod Potter, um, he's mentioned his dissatisfaction with my mentioning this before. I don't like Back to the Future 3. Yeah. I don't. It's tough. When we watched it, I'm sure we walked out of the cinema going, woohoo, yay, we're great, everything's awesome. Certainly. But, you know, I, I attempted the three in one night. And when you start doing that, you see that it's just the car, this horrible carbon copy of the original. And the lines are the same. Mm. And it's just really weird and yeah. doesn't work. I have a lot of problems with Back to the Future 3. There are certainly amazing bits. And overall, I mean, I'll say it's a three star. I won't give it less than three. I really won't because it's too good to give it less. But a lot of, I don't like Steinberg. I don't like the fact that Doc spends the whole time, and in number two, in fairness, like bitching about creating the time machine. All I want to see is Doc and Marty having adventures and the two sequels of just Doc moaning about it. So none of that really satisfies me. And like you say, it does hit the beats. So does the second one, but it is just like, oh, come on. So yes, to do something totally... Dare I say, it's a bit like Return of the Jedi, a little bit in terms of the third, or even Last Crusade, coming back to the first one in terms of Nazi's tone a little bit. So to do a third film in Western time is a really good idea, but just do something so different, you know, really go off on one. Because the yeah. second film is, is so inventive and so clever. Yeah. It does something that no sequel has ever done. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's going to come up. Oh, good stuff. Um, beautiful, Sheppy. Love it. Love it. Okay. Is it my turn to ask? It is. Number five. Number five. What's the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily that the film is any good, just because of the experience of seeing it, etc. Blau. I think I'm going to really hit a bone with you on this one, but let me just do two <laughs> honourable mentions. Um, so, uh, Shawshank is actually as much about the experience as well like me mutti vicky went mm. we were going to go watch quiz show and um and it was basically sold out wow. wayne's world sold out and then um so we were like what what else you got going and they were like there's this movie called shawshank it's some kind of prison shenanigan and so we're like, <laughs> okay and so we go in there with the only three in the screening wow. and we sit there and we watch it and then we come out and the three of us are just buzzing and my nan is the whole reason i love movies really yeah. and then of course you then fan those flames but just saying like you know That's i nice. think um you know that for me is it's never going to be beaten that experience ever 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 that it's amazing one can i so, quickly jump in and say first of all i'm it was probably world, wayne's world 2 and second mm. of all <laughs> <laughs> can't let that lie can't let it lie should let it lie don't let it lie second of all <laughs> in terms of that um no uh, it's when you're not expecting something and i'm gonna say i'm just gonna jump in I had that experience with the Iron Giant. I did a double bill with my friend Packham at university. We went to the cinema and we went to go and see the Muppets from Space, but we did double bills because we had free passes at the big you know, megaplex. And so we saw the Iron Giant first and we just saw it because, okay, whatever. And it just, you know, blew our skin off. And so so that's my equivalent to your that's short so shank. nice. 
Well, all of mine are like that, by the way. It's the blow the skin off rather than the smell of the popcorn. Oh, that's so great. That's what like, a nice you know what I mean? it's just, uh, Yeah, well, it's what absolutely else? that. And that's a point break was another mm. big surprise for me. I remember we went uh, from school in a little minibus um, out on a Saturday night. And, nice. like, and we went and watched it and it was just amazing and came back buzzing. But then my real answer, my absolute, like, I think... The, the answer for me is Arlington Road, Shepard. Oh, oh. For the, for the blow the skin off, the whole experience, the whole package. I'm not saying we were at the apex of our cinema going experiences together, but we were close to. What were you and saying? Like we did that? payback in Arlington and we That went was another to, double bill, yeah, right? And it's First like, of yeah. all, by terms of apex, I don't know what you mean by that because I think our apex started with Last Crusade and continues to this day. There's no. That's nice. There's no we're dip. still there. That's it's, nice. It's continuous apex. <laughs> continuous apex is my pimp name. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I That's agree. amazing. <laughs> and yes, it's another double bill. I think we went to go and see Payback, but whilst we were there, and it, by the way, same cinema as I saw The Iron Giant and Muppets. Oh, that's nice. It was in Newport in, in, uh, in South Wales. Yeah, we went to go and see Payback, and we also saw Arlington. I'd totally forgotten that we actually did that as a double bill, and yeah. Arlington blew our skin off. Absolutely. Oh, and we just walked down poor old Payback. Cause but then again, away. Payback... And it's probably not as good as we remember, maybe. I think it I is think. actually good. I mean, I haven't seen it for 11 years, but I think Arlington Road is really, really well, credit good. credit to Tim Robbins for getting two mentions in there for me. Like, you know what I mean? That's nice. But yeah, no, but fair Well, play. Eric the Viking is still to come. <laughs> but I'll say this. Uh, no, not only are you right, that is wonderful, and the director's cut of payback is of course amazing so payback was always a bit flawed in the first place that by the way was the day we were in newport and we it was a real looking at the clock looking back looking at the clock realizing we were an hour early that sort of thing but the opposite because the the clocks had changed and we didn't know oh, it was yeah. a sunday and we were in town and we thought it had like an hour and 20 minutes to make it to payback or arlington whichever was first and then we were in town and there was like this big weird transformer clock that excuse me, which literally opened and transformed and weird things happened. And it was like, oh shit, it's an hour later. Oh, the clock's changed. We only had 20 minutes to make it to the cinema, <laughs> yeah. which was out of town. You had to get a bus. It was like in like an industrial park in the middle of nowhere for this big multiplex. But we made it. But you actually, right. we were like, fucking hell. And we legged it to the bus. So I remember nice. that very clearly. I totally remember that now. God, yeah. I forgot about the time thing. That's good stuff. But yeah, so official Arlington Road is what's going on. The what a great thing. answer. Oh, fantastic. It's all about basically going to the cinema. You want to go and see something else. You have no preconception about something and then you see it and it blows your skin off it's it's that is really i think the common theme here. i think so rather yeah. than like oh i saw it in the best seat my bum was comfy the whole time you know the best I will, popcorn i will say when i saw and you and i saw the matrix together at the cinema but i think it was the second time for both of us when mm. we saw it the first time i saw the matrix at the cinema there was a lot of buzz and people were saying this is fucking good. Mm. And I kept wanting to go and see it. And I remember having a few full starts. And it was like a week later. And then I did go and see it. Maybe even at the same cinema. And again, it was like, oh no, this is, yes, this is, this is excellent. Um, so that's kind of the same sort of thing. Sort of, but not quite. You saying it has triggered Spider-Man 2 as well. I just want to just, just for an honourable, just nice. to throw it in there that's as well. Nice. Just to say like, that, that 
is a movie that we've subsequently then gone back to and butchered and both decided it wasn't quite as good as we remember. And that's a film, by the way, that everyone fucking loves, which we don't necessarily love. So there you go. um, uh, yeah, but but when we watched that, Leicester Square was amazing, right? Yeah, the with Pop. Yeah, yeah, with Pop, the Pop Potter, friend of the podcast. It was a wonderful, wonderful Saturday night. That yeah, wasn't it? Just, that was an yeah, event. Magic. Felt and also, I was let down by the first Spider Man because I I really had high hopes and and I honestly was let down and I, and I was in the minority there. So seeing the second one, which does hold together better than the first one. Uh, and yes, Leicester Square, it was a big event. That was a wonderful experience. Wonderful. Yeah. So I, I want to hear yours. Well, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with everything you've just said. For me, the two films kind of feel like a cheat because they're two of my favourite films of all time. In fact, one of them is literally my favourite film of all time. So it seems stupid to say in terms of like a, a film experience that meant a lot to me. But so the first film is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I saw that I've been I, you know, I saw that obviously on TV and on video and millions of times in the 80s, in the 90s I and into the 2000s. Now I think I've seen Raiders four times at the cinema. Um, wow. on, you know, I think so, four or five. Uh, the first time was in the 90s with Dr. Mike in Guildford, like 10 o'clock in the morning. They would show films sometimes, like old films. It was amazing. It was like 96, I think, 97. And they showed Raiders on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. And I went to the cinema of Dr. Mike and it was amazing. And it was the first time I'd seen it at the cinema. It might even, in fact, it was the first time I'd seen it in widescreen. So it was, a, it, that was a fucking, so it was already my favourite film of all time. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, it's even better than I thought. And there was a kid during the fight scene, which is, by the way, one of my favourite scenes of all time with, with the big bald Nazi, Ken Loach. Ken Roach and and you know Indy and the, the pr- propeller and all of that during that fight scene. In fact, it was just after that fight scene. It energized some younger kids who were about fourteen, who were like about seven or eight rows in front of us, and they started like having like a fake fight. But it annoyed me as like a jaded I don't know nineteen year old. So I had I was eating minstrels and I took a minstrel and I threw it at this kid who was like about like I say about seven or eight rows in front. And it was like, I was inspired by indie. It was like a whip crack. <laughs> it was the best shot I've made in my life. As we all know, minstrels have a hard outer shell and it just pinged off the back of the head of this kid. And he and his friend just sat down and watched that film and didn't get out of their seat and do a play fight after that. And I felt <laughs> fucking triumphant. That's not even the example. I mentioned my grandma my so my grandma died and I was very sad and it was a Saturday and it was like 2009 or something and I'm living 2011 maybe and I'm living in Hackney in London and I'm sad and it's a Saturday and the Prince Charles is showing Raiders and that was like the third time I went to see it at the cinema and I went and I asked you and you were busy because it was last second it was real last second we were both in London at the time so I went by myself and I went and I watched the film again, probably like noon on a Saturday afternoon, and I was feeling emotional anyway. But that was that. So that that's up there. That that viewing that's of Raiders nice, as well as one of the greats. And also, I have to shout out. And again, this is one of my favorite Star Trek films. In fact, it's my third favorite Star Trek film, and it's Star Trek: First Contact. And it's my favorite Next Generation film by a country country mile. And it's. It's a good film. Um, I, I still really like that film. But seeing that at the cinema, 
it was 1996 it was like december 96 and it was rob bryant's birthday and i was recently going out with this girl who i just started to go out with and it was in that really nice phase and i was so into my next generation and it was two years after the previous next generation film and i was so into it i was excited and it was the borg and it was the first and guilford odeon not the Guildford Odeon that you and I have mentioned a million times because that has shut. The new Guildford Odeon had opened literally like a few days before. And it was Rob's birthday. So I went with Rob and my, my new girlfriend and about five or six other people. And half the group were into Next Generation and half the group were not, but they were there because it was Rob's birthday. <laughs> and everyone was really into it um, and everyone just wanted to go for that and there was also frankly a party back at mine afterwards because I think my parents were away so there were about seven or eight of us and I remember me and my new girlfriend and Rob were sitting in the middle of the group Rob was into Next Generation my girlfriend had never seen Star Trek and everyone on my girlfriend's side of the group had, were not into Star Trek but they watched it and they were all a bit like but it is a good film so everyone was into it but they were they didn't have any point of reference it was just a film but luckily it's a good film and you don't really need to have seen any of the star trek you couldn't just watch it cold so half the group let's say five people had never seen any star trek and the other half uh were deep into it and me i was right in the middle so i had both sides and the film happened and it was it was a really you know, it's all wrapped up in the relationship. It was like my first proper girlfriend. And, and it was just like, it really came together. And then afterwards we went back to mine and we had this like nice sort of party and stuff. And it was lovely. So so that's another one that, that was, was special. And very, 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 very quickly, there was a midnight showing of Goldfinger and me and Dr. Mike and Rob drove to, I want to say, not Basingstoke, someone like, oh, it's Bracknell. Bracknell Cinema were showing every single Bond film at that time, so like about 18 films or 20 films in a row um, over the, let's say, 18 weeks. Like every Saturday at midnight, they were showing every Bond film. Wow. And I still to this day kick myself that I didn't go more, but Rob could drive, Dr. Mike was up for it. We had packed lunch from his mother, from Dr. Mike's mum, who made us sandwiches. <laughs> and we drove to Bracknell at midnight or, uh, to go and see Goldfinger. We saw Goldfinger, and then a few weeks later, we saw You Only Live Twice. And a few years later, years later, weeks later, we saw Man with a Golden Gun. So we saw those three at the cinema, but we didn't see more, which I do kick myself over. But that's not bad. And Goldfinger, we drove to Bracknell. We got lost. We couldn't find the cinema. We eventually found it. It was a bit tense because it was like coming closer to midnight. We get, we park, we run in, we buy the tickets. And I remember I run to the screen, it's like screen seven or whatever. I'm running, it's like midnight. I'm like, oh, you're in for like 20 minutes. I've been tense because we got lost trying to find the cinema. And I run to the doors and I throw open the double doors and me and the two others stride into the, the auditorium just as the da -da -da, da 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 kicks off and it was bloody joyous and for because of that experience goldfinger was my favorite bond film for about five or six years wow. after that like it was one of my favorite films after that. and actually frankly it has dropped a bit i love it but it, it's not 
in my top Bond films these days. But that that was an amazing only because of the bursting in and the relief of not missing it. Oh, I don't want to miss Goldfinger because I don't know what happens. But I didn't want to miss any of it. And walking in at the exact beginning of the gun barrel was was pretty special. So that's that's worth a shout out. I love that, Sheppy. Listen, man, you had some amazing there. Can I just in reverse order say I guess License to Kill has to have an honourable mention yeah. for yes. both of us yes. because of the fact we didn't even know we were watching that movie yes. until we watched that movie. And I had already made horrible peace knowing that we were 11, we were too young to go and see a 15, we were not going to see this new Bond film at the cinema. It was painful and yes, we walked into the wrong screen with your stepdad and your sister who was nine and we watched Anthony Zerbe's head explode like a peanut <laughs> and you're right that was when again when the gun battle yeah. I mean we the, it was a trailer like an extended I pe- remember preview or something. the BBFC thing came up and it said license to kill 15 and I was like well am I dreaming what I couldn't comprehend it it didn't make sense i wasn't instantly like oh we're in the wrong film it was like what and then da 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 or in this case the michael cayman yes so you're absolutely right jimmy the license to kill was an absolutely amazing it's humongous sheppy and then just quickly i want to this is something that's never occurred to me but i wanted to just say this for whatever it's worth is I mean, as as best an objective character as I can be on the Star Trek thing in this scenario. But, like, I feel like the Trekkies in, in the next-gen era, they came in for a bit of a, not a bad rap, but, like, to be classified a geek to enjoy the Star Treks in those days is actually really deeply unfair. Because, actually, think about it. They're ahead of the game. They're ahead of this sort of 20-episode arc thing. of And then, like, getting them... I mean, actually... If you were into Next Gen at that time, you got the treats that were coming for others, like this whole Marvel cinematic thing oh, yeah. of like, you know, you get the movies, you get the whole thing. When Robert like... Picardo's Doctor from Voyager pops up for his cameo, that was huge. That's bigger <laughs> than fucking What's-His-Face turning up in Ant-Man. You're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. I'll also say the Next Generation Trekkies were called Trekkers, so they rebranded themselves <laughs> to avoid that. And I'll also say... Trekkies are our own worst enemy because they're the ones who are like, please explain when you walk through this door the <laughs> continuity. So honestly, that it's, we're not blameless, and I say we <laughs> because I have to. But you know that they no no Trekkie ever did themselves any favor. So I have to say on that other you know side of the fence. But you're <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. That, that because also first contact you have your, your cameo from Robert Picardo as the doctor from Voyager you've also got uh, Neelix Ethan Phillips popping up without makeup but when you hear his voice you're like fucking hell that's Neelix without his makeup and you've also got Dwight Swaltz as Lieutenant Barkley popping up for I a mean, cameo Murdoch yeah hang on a minute okay cool. Murdoch Jesus <laughs> Dwight Swartz is in about five episodes of Next Generation as a character called Lieutenant Barkley and he pops up a special appearance by and he's this neurotic lower member you know below deck I think type. I remember a bit of that right and he was he was the central he was this massive new new neurotic um, and he was in about five episodes of Next Generation and then he has essentially a cameo in first contact and it is you know if you're just watching it you're like okay whatever or you're like is that fucking murdoch 
but also as a fan you're like oh my god it's fucking Barkley in this film on the big screen it didn't need to be in fact apparently so there's a geeky character who hero worships Sephiroth Cochrane who we all know invented the warp drive and Jonathan Frakes who plays Riker who directed First Contact was like this character who's this geeky guy why don't we just have Barkley let's see if Dwight's free <laughs> I'm sure he's free and he was and he was in it so it's all down to Frakes and again it's like a what we call these days an easter egg and it was glorious so you're absolutely right nice shepherd jeepers amazing yeah and can I just shout out Mission Impossible 2 as well like I, I don't want to get too emotional here over the beers right. but I will just say literally within 48 hours of my dad passing you come to London like down tools and whatever your life was doing and come find me and then we get shit faced together and then my friend Reedy just lets us into a back door of a screening of Mission Impossible 2 and we're fucking hammered yeah. and we just sit in the front row and just watch that and like yeah. That was very cathartic for me in the moment. So actually, I just thought I'd, I'd just call that too, man. That was huge. Punching but, um... Do Grey Scott in the face, yeah, works for any problem. <laughs> It'll cure your malady. Well, that's nice, Jimmy. Um, all right. So, am I asking you? I've lost my. I've lost it. Friend. Just ask me, man. What film do you most relate to, Sheppy? This is the one that I I, do, I, li- I just don't have an answer. Oh wow! I've I, got one. If okay. you want one, I would love one. I mean. A film that I relate to. Let me hear yours, because the only one I have is fucking... (laughs) Tell me it's the Muppets Treasure Island. (laughs) I wish. I wish. I don't really relate to characters in that. I mean, there's wish fulfilment. I see elements of myself in certain characters, perhaps. I will say, in any film where I put myself like, oh, that character represents me sooner or later in that film that character will do something that i wouldn't do and it absolutely almost ruins the film for me and takes me out and it's not the film's fault it's because i've put myself too much i saw myself and maybe it was fake in that character i'm gonna say my example is sex lies and videotape when james bader i saw it such a long time ago but when james bader turns up at the beginning i and it 100% it's me it's not Soderbergh it's not say, Spader but I was like only in terms of he arrived he's like the wandering traveller and he he arrives and he meets you know Andy McDowell and so forth and because he was entering this this cosmos this this microcosmos of this 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 situation I thought he had all the answers but he doesn't of course because that would be boring and it would be a bad film but so at a certain point, about halfway through the film, I said, oh, this guy doesn't have the answers. So I, 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 I lost I lost the thread of the film. Yeah. So it's not really about relating to anything, but I just thought, you know, so it's, it's when you, you put yourself into a, a character because there are no characters who are genuinely like me. There are characters who I aspire to be. I'm going to say Captain Picard or characters who I'd like to be like Batman or James Bond, but I'm not, obviously. Um. But there's no one who is actually like me. Yeah. that's re- You're right. I have not answered it that way, Sheppy, well, at good. all. I've gone down a different route. Because I, I agree with you. I think that's an impossibility, actually. Like, to say you relate to anyone on the silver screen like that is tricky at best. Not to mention egotistical. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like... I almost feel like this is kind of in that... One of those subcategories of the crying the most or the... You know, just something that deeply connects in a whoosh that you didn't see coming or 
that's the film I'd love to have made because I think there's something about it that feels relatable or like, yes, that's kind of in my, not just my wheelhouse of like, but it's just right in there. It's in a sweeter spot than most. And I think, um, I don't know if you've seen The Way, Way Back. Have you seen that one? I, that I quite like that. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah, I quite like that as a coming of age yes. story. I don't necessarily relate to any of the characters, but I just think I'm really, I'm very in awe of what they achieved there because it feels just the other side of what's per, that permeability of like what's possible for me. Like I'm, I, I think what they've done there is really interesting and cool and like, I'd love to have been able to make something like that and it feels relatable. I don't know why, but yeah, there's something there. That's nice. And I think Sing Street, have you seen that? No. I don't want to say too much, man. That's a movie that just builds, 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 gets under your skin, under your skin, and then you watch people engaging in environment. It's in Ireland, so it's not in an environment I grew up in, mm. but it feels relatable. Perhaps I watched it in Aussie, so it's kind of like, oh, it's nice to see yeah. something in the UK again or whatever. But bottom line is... Um, you know, it's like it just builds, 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 and then it has a full rug pull last second. No, I love those. So I, I'm telling all you right. that. So well, that's all I'll I'm, say I'm about bloody that. Intrigued. Um, that's probably said too much, maybe even, but that doesn't matter. But and then the one that I think I just want to have as my formal answer. Again, I don't relate to the characters, but there's something in the movie that got under my skin in a way that. And it's this is the best question to answer it to. Does that make sense? So, in Bruges, oh, for me. hey, we watched that a couple of days ago. Wow. Well, you and I watched that because you hadn't seen it yet, and I'd yes. seen it like twice. And I was like, nice. you've got to see this movie. You've got to see this movie." And I remember us watching it in Angel, and I was like, "And I, for some reason, that movie really got into my skin in a way that look, I don't relate to a hitman that's." killed someone by accident i don't relate to that you relate to someone who killed them on purpose <laughs> yes exactly but I, and i but there's something in the banter and the way it plays out in the almost real time of it in the, the in the very deep location setting obviously and like the there's something about that movie gets into my skin gross point blank i hadn't written it down but it just occurred to me oh. these movies just there's something about them like in that sort of very there's a niche of indiness that's about them and they kind of they go to a place and they just sort of wicker man. Any movie that starts with a person going to a place, generally for me, is an immediate way to anchor me in a way that most movies don't. Midsummer, like you know, these it's movies. It's a real like, sex really... lies and videotape one of these, <laughs> yeah, but, watch but that, it yeah. works. I'm watch <laughs> it's that. the flip. Can I can I break for a second and just say, yeah. I just noticed there's like a red light on this. That's mute. good. Oh good. That's good. Oh, that good. means we're recording. Oh good, because on my computer, when you when the red lights on, it's like muted. No, on. that's perfect. That would be horrendous. That would be. Yeah. Um, that's really nice, Jimmy. Should we get another cheeky. Yes, I might even do another wee wee in a minute. Let me let me say this quickly. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, no. Because there good, was one good. other thing that I have to say about it in terms of relating to. Because I've left that blank. Because. <laughs> I I don't know how else to say it. Um. <laughs> well, okay look I'll take you right back it's 1998 I'm at university and I'm writing loads and loads of scripts some of them I'm gonna make for like my cheapy student films and some of them are just writing for the sake of writing just to write them and I wrote this one I just had a very very horrible breakup and I sort of funneled that into writing about this um this, this sort of short story this short film which I never made I just wrote the script but it was about this person and it wasn't about me. In fact, the main character was a lady, and it, the lady was based on my 
then immediate ex-girlfriend but you know it wasn't showing you like oh she's horrible it was just showing this sort of flawed person who was just like going around and it was me and it was her and it was everything it was always, it was kind of it was very cathartic and it wasn't very enjoyable to write and I did it and I finally I sort of forced myself through it and I wrote this whole thing I finished it and I and uh, I had finished it I was just like I just I don't want to write anything ever again that was it I've sort of killed it um I'm not you know that was an unpleasant experience to write it and I'm actually quite proud of the final result because it was like writing for when I was like you know I was young and I wrote and the main character was a, a lady and writing from that perspective well seems extremely presumptuous but it was it worked and it, again it wasn't like a she's horrible at all but I didn't enjoy it writing it and I was done and then not long after a week maybe less I went to the cinema and I saw Shakespeare in Love and so the person that I relate to is <laughs> William Shakespeare <laughs> because as played by Joseph Fiennes as written by Tom Stoppard in that film he's writing he's having problems he's 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 just had a messy breakup he's now meeting someone else he's he's creative he's just He's creating something out of nothing, which is something that's always appealed to me about the concept of writing. And it really inspired me. And at the end of the film, I was inspired and I went off and I wrote something that I think is, at the time, it was good. It was, I wrote something that was really good. And it was because I saw Shakespeare in Love and I connected with I the portrayal of William Shakespeare in that film. So there that's, you go. That's super cool. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Man. yeah. <laughs> Who do you most relate to? Probably God. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say there's a whole separate subcategory out there? Have you watched Handmaid's Tale, by the way? Uh, I saw the first season. Marta's been watching. Yeah, we we were we well into it, and then um, like, I love that idea that someone could be iconic as Shakespeare. And the good guy. Right. And then not just flip it, like, <laughs> holy shit, become iconic as an uber, uber, oh, uber bad guy. Right, right, right. Like, it's amazing to me, that nice. stuff. I love that. I don't know who else has done it. There'll be loads, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. Like, someone who gets very identifiable with one role and then flips it for another role. Yeah. And let's just say any huge fans of Spooks might have an issue of succession with your McFadden. Yeah. There you go. Or, I need to watch Spooks. Did you watch it in this um, day? Years ago, I mean, like... Was 2000, he good in it? 2015, I sat myself down and I thought, I've never seen Spooks and it's been running on the BBC for like 10 years. I should watch it. And I watched the first season, maybe the first two seasons, but certainly the first season and a bit. Uh, it's good enough. It's I like, watched the movie. With oh, with Jon Snow. And Snow. Um... The show, from what I saw from the first season and stuff, was fine. It was good. It was okay. It was it was fine. It's like we were saying Can earlier. Can what McFadden does in it? Is he uber cool? Is he what is he? He's a flawed human spy. Um, okay. He's not super cool. Okay. He's cool enough because he's McFadden and he looks cool and he's yeah. you know pre Darcy. But he, yeah, he he was fine. He, yeah, and and maybe the show would have been. You know, I should maybe I, I don't know why I stopped watching it, but I, I it wasn't because I didn't like it. It's like we were saying earlier, not on the podcast, so that's going to be irrelevant. But like lower tier TV, it's good, it's solid, but it you know it's relatively yeah. ex expendable, exposable, yeah. you know. Yeah. Fair. 
Okay. What bloody question? Oh god, we gotta. Oh, okay. Sheppy, we have to breeze. No, through I'm these loving two, this. I'm loving these it all. two questions. Okay. We gotta breeze through. Uh, so I will ask you this, Jimmy. What's the sexiest film? I didn't think too hard about this one. Hard. Hey, I knew you'd pick up on it. I knew you would. I like <laughs> your melt shit. Amazing. Um, I've put down out of sight, Sheppy. Dude. Don't say it's the same answer. In it. There you go. That's and we saw that like about a week ridiculous. ago. Out of sight. It's a very sexy film. Made mm. because of the chemistry. Uh, astonishing chemistry. There you I go. Agree. Talk about Breeze. There you go. It's out of sight. It's official. It that's is really nice. Film. I think it might. That's so cool. Out of sight, the one with Clooney and Lopez. Oh, and I think it's got film. the sexiest sex scene. Well, don't tell Nicholas Rogue, but yes, <laughs> it's it's amazing. The whole build up, the way yeah. that whole sequence with the yeah the the, the 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 don't look now, flip flap, flip flap, back and forth. The 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 build up of the the, the foreplay, all of it. Yeah, that's wonderful. And of course, the chemistry sizzling. Yeah. I watched, um, this is, I shouldn't even say it in the same breath, but I saw Marry Me recently. Have you seen this with them? Um, it's the latest Lopez. Because, I mean, talk about going through evolutions and changes. Like, Lopez is just a different character, different person. Well, she's regenerated a lot of times, but she basically looks the same. Yeah, she does look <laughs> the same, but weirdly her personality has changed, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, anyway, this Marry Me is Owen Wilson and her. Oh, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, right, that, right, that whole right, thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's actually, she's quite endearing in it. And there's still some residuals from the outside sure. Lopez going on. Yeah. But it's, you know, you it's might, a three out of out of sight, you know. In terms well, of I mean, Lopez's you can't chemistry. compare it to out of sight. That's unfair. But it is like, yeah, well, okay. Um, can't wait for the next question. Solid. All right. I have to ask you this. Travelling boners, worrying wide-ons. What's the film that you saw that you found sexy that maybe you shouldn't have? Now look, I'm going to tell you three things. Okay, I'm going to give you the stages here. I'm loving it. If I say to you that it is um, Maid Marian, are we talking Robin Hood, the cartoon? Okay, well, I mean, I <laughs> honestly, Jimmy, and I mean no disrespect to anyone out there, but if you had a said Mary Elizabeth Mancetonio, it would have disturbed me more. <laughs> oh wow. I'm talking about, is it a fox? I meant to write down, I meant yeah, to Google she's a, it's fox, a fox. Of course, you can't have what, you know, Robin Hood being a fox and like fucking an ostrich. That would be ludicrous. <laughs> uh, so yeah, double fox. Triple fox, if you get my meaning. I get exactly your meaning. I will and say the I chick. I was in love with her for a long time. Jimmy. Speaking 42 of, years precise. Speaking of cartoons, people often met, you know, mention Jessica Rabbit, for example. Speaking of cartoon rabbits... Do you remember your infatuation with a certain cartoon rabbit? And I mean rabbit, not a lady with rabbit as a surname. Good grief. Early 90s, late 80s. Late 80s, I'm going to say. Luckily, I've blocked this from my memory Check after years of out. therapy. But go on, remind me about my horror. Hey, Mr. Beaver. Why are you beavering around? <gasps> Caramello, the, the caramel lady. Right, exactly. The intake of breath you just heard, listeners, was an erection. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it was ca Cadbury's Caramel. Take it easy with Cadbury's Caramel. I'm That's sorry, Sheppy, you have to excuse me. i just got to go and look on YouTube for something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> See you in 20 minutes. <laughs> so, wow. 
Wow, that can't be your answer. No, too. that's your answer. Oh, no, really. And I had to remind you of that because in the late 80s... What do I have with animals, man? Jesus. What don't you have with animals? <laughs> Nonetheless, the rabbit from the Cadbury's Caramel adverts from the late 80s um, was someone who you she were very public. Yep. She got under a lot of things. But yes, I had to mention that. Thank you for mentioning that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it will be my pleasure. <laughs> oh, God, that's the grossest well, thing. No, it's not gross at all. Um, so you got your maid, Marion, you got your rabbit. Now, if your maid, Marion, met your rabbit, your maid, Marion, being a fox, would eat your rabbit, would that be traumatic for you, or would it turn you on more? I think the latter. I thought as much. <laughs> um, fair enough. That's all wicked. Double cartoon. I want to hear yours. Well, well, all right, well, look. Um, what have I got here? Well, well, basically, it's been documented, I think, or certainly it's something you're aware of. One of my first little funny feelings in my belly was Superman 2 with Ursa. Um, Ursa is like a special sort of character for me, and I, and I like her very much. I respect her very much. Um, however, however... On uh, in Superman two on the moon, she she's she lands in front of the astronaut and she likes his badge, so she pulls out the badge and rips his spacesuit, and he falls on the ground, and he screams, and his suit inflates, and you know he's decompressurizing, and depending on what film you watch, depending you know uh, when someone decompressurizes, if that's a word in space, they inflate, their eyes pop, they bleed out of every hole. And then they, you know, and it's a horrible, just one of the the worst death ever. So Ursa lands on the moon in front of this dude who looks a bit like the guy from the Gravy adverts with Maureen Littman, I think, from from the eighties. Because uh, he happened to be doing the lights that day in the studio, and they lost there, their act. They liked yeah, him. yeah. She Ursa rips the NASA badge off his suit, ripping it open, and he falls on the ground and inflates, and he's dying. This. You don't see it, but you know it's it's a horrendous death, and she stands there watching him die, and then she kicks him. So you would assume the kick is hard enough to just explode his ribs, explode his spine, you know, and he flies off into space for maybe twenty seconds left of life in this agony, and then he dies. That always did it for me. So there you go. From from a very early age, that it's a very troubling. It's the most troubling. It's I've a ever horrible heard. death. Yeah. So, so there you go. So there, there's that. That's that's probably the one I'm going to yeah, mention. You've that. taken that question seriously, and I respect you for that. Well, I hear the police are, are coming. <laughs> I hear them knocking at the door. So there you go. <laughs> now, before we do this next one, which is what's the best film objectively ever made? I think this is a good one to try and guess what each other's answer might be. You won't so. guess mine. No, I, I probably won't. You're right. You might get mine as well. well. In the Brett Goldstein podcast, most people say The Godfather. Right, and that winds him that. up. That's lovely. That. And I'm assuming it's not The Godfather Part 3. No, you. no. And look, by the way, that, that that's in the shake-up. Of course it is, because it kind of just is amazing. Mm. Um, well, if I may say how I translate this, because I don't, you know, it's like, what's the best program or what's better? Better Call Soul or, you know, Breaking Bad. It's like, or what's the best English sitcom? There's no answer to that there is there's like i've said it before it's like the the cream on top and you skim it and there are you know a multitude of answers so what this really is is 
what's a five star film and your definition of a five star film is is a perfect film and everything is quote unquote human you have flaws you have things that don't you know weren't planned or they had to do go around things but that but a five star film is a film that is basically perfect warts and all because the warts make it special and it works so that's what that's how yeah. I approach this. I think that's exactly how I did Because there's no too, yeah. right answer. Yeah, you can say Citizen Kane. You can say Shawshank Redemption, which is my guess for yours. And then it's not right. Well, that makes me happy. I'm happy. So any five-star film is objectively the best film ever made as far as I'm concerned. Um, do you want to guess mine? I think yours might be Raiders. Oh, interesting. I was going to say Raiders, but perhaps because I knew I had mentioned it in an earlier question, but I would say that's a five-star film, and it is uh, a perfect film. I went out with another girl once, and I showed her Raiders of the Lost Ark, and in the scene where Indy and Belloc, are, you know, after Marion supposedly blows up, and he's a bit drunk with the monkey, and Belloc comes into the little bar, and uh, there's a shot it's a low angle shot on Indy's face and he's a bit drunk and he's a bit upset about Marion supposedly dying and there's a ceiling fan in, uh, a, you know, sort of behind him in the, in the background and it's ro- rotating but the way the shot is um, you know, composited the ceiling fan looks like it's kind of coming out of Indy's eye a little bit I've never noticed it but it's kind of there and my girlfriend at the time said that's a shit shot or something or that's a terrible shot and I, you know, I swallowed my tongue, of course, literally. And I was just like, what? You, what? You know, because of the fan in his eye. He's like, that's why it's a shit shot. Um, so I mention it now because it's a shot where you could say, well, maybe if the fan was like an inch in the screen to the right, it wouldn't be in his eye and it wouldn't be so distracting. So maybe that's the one flaw of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but I don't agree with that. That's just what I heard from someone else. I like that because I like the warts and all aspect. But that's one thing about Raiders. Or yeah. the fact, you know, Indy doesn't actually do anything. He doesn't change the course of events. That's up to, you know, that's debatable. But yeah, sure. Okay, I get it. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You might even say that makes the film even better. Because it's like this film... You know, this hero is the ultimate anti-hero. He doesn't even do anything. So I, I'm all for that. Uh, but that's not the answer I wrote down. I'll tell you what, Jimmy, one I of the answers I wrote... Answer. Well, honestly, I just think of a random five-star film. And because we watched it recently, I literally I wrote down right here, In Bruges. So there, there you go. Wow! Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I wrote That's in an amazing answer. I also wrote Children of Men, and I also wrote The Good, Bad, and the, the Ugly. Best film objectively ever made. Well, I mean, I say that with the caveat. Children of Men's amazing. I say this as the caveat is basically yeah, I'm talking one of about the cream. five star films. Yeah, one of the. So cream. there you go, because Raiders was an obvious answer. From Russia with Love is another five star film, as far as I'm concerned, or Spy Who Loved Me is another five star film. But I'm not going with that. Um, or you know, Boogie Nights. That's that's a five star film. That's objectively the best film ever made, as far as I'm concerned. That's a great. I like I like your your thing. I, I mean, God, I was not expecting it. Like I like what you've done. You've totally because I, I think I also went a wee bit more transcendent than you did, if you know what I mean, or at least tried to go with the lexicon of what the public believe as well. You know, yes. And then I kind of went with, okay, what's become iconic as well to become that sort of 
best thing, and mm. I went Jaws. Shaggy. Oh, lovely! Yeah, I well, went there Jaws because I thought there's something there that's sort of in the psyche. Mm-hmm. One of the first ever blockbusters, mm-hmm. you know, the score, the everything, and like you said, that it's got warts and all. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best warts and all example. Oh maybe, my god! You know, like because the warts actually make, make it. it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like, you know, <laughs> Bruce didn't work. No, yeah, yeah no, so you're, it's that you're kind so of thing. Right. So. Um, I feel like that's my answer. I think that that actually has a decent, you know, it's got a decent argument to be up there in an empire poll as well as our poll. Oh yeah, sort of thing. You know, like it's got a good. Leg and also, to kind it of is be the surprise choice at number one. Sometimes it is also one of my favourite films mm. of all time. So it's uh, you know that that's up there. You know, Raiders and Jaws are very you know, close for They're me. They're the actually. two for sure. Yeah, that's wonderful, Jimmy. Yeah, great, wonderful. One thing about Jaws, what I've always liked, is that, you know, Brody and Ellen, they feel like adults. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm sure we're older than, you know, Shut Roy up. Schneider. Shut up. But they always felt like adults. They And if it, if the film, dare I say, was made now, they would be young. It would be, even if it's like, say, let's say Ryan Reynolds, who I really like, it's, you know, he's, he's that type. Whereas yeah. Roy Schneider felt real and he felt like a real grown-up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, agreed, Sheppy. Well, let's timestamp it, right? Because we're coming off the back of our Queen's funeral in recent days and it feels like that gen just maybe had a... Obviously, there's still people alive who are older than Elizabeth, but, you know, that is a big moment in time around a certain generation going... And I feel like the Schneider version of being a grown-up is a certain generation of grown-up. Like, you know, and now, as a parent, it's a different gig, mm. you know. You and I were left to our own devices in Guildford with all respect to our parents who <laughs> did a wonderful job and had a very happy childhood. But like, I'm just saying, like, you know, we were left to our own devices. It was like, Saturday, good luck, see you Monday morning. <laughs> <Sort of thing. laughs> it was like... <laughs> Whereas now, it's like so heavily involved, it's different. Mm. And parents are that more attuned and maybe close to the kids I'm not, not no I will say you know this I mean? like, in terms of that I w- just as devil's advocate I would say you know Guildford <laughs> it's Guildford what's the worst that's going to happen to us we're going to meet a surly cashier in boots but nonetheless <laughs> yes I, I get it <laughs> it's valid it's valid there's something about the gen now who are parents and our gen who are a little bit more um, not quite arrested development a stage you know more adult than that but it's do you know what I mean? There's just something there, like you said, about Ryan Reynolds doesn't feel like a fully formed He's a boy. Schneider. He's yeah. a grown-up boy. Yeah, exactly. I say this wearing a T-shirt with a frog <laughs> on it and some Buddha stuff and a, and a hat I've had for 20 years. So, yes, I know. Don't call me a hypocrite. Call me Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> That's fine. No problem. No problem. I will from now on. Thank you. Um, but good stuff. This next one, again, is a good one to try and guess from each other because... What's the worst film ever made, Sheppy? Well, the you and made. I have history with a certain bad yeah. film. And I, that's, by the way, I, well, frick it. I, that's what I've chosen. Right. Right. Well, good stuff. Well, let's jump straight to that. We're talking about the film that we saw, 1994, which harked, heralded the death of our cinematic innocence in that it was the first film we saw where we were aware that it was a bad film and we were aware that we were disappointed with it, as far as I'm aware. That's certainly speaking yeah. for myself. And that is Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah. The stakes were high. 
should have been better. Mm. The caliber of movie before it was significantly higher. The director was solid. Yeah. The trailer was great. Therefore, the, the excuses are ridiculous. There's no excuse. Yes. And it's that. It's like that for me. There's films that are probably worse. Oh yeah. But from the it's the it's the it's the drop. Yeah, it's the drop, and it's it's the pissing on a legacy. Yeah. I've said yeah. it before. I have my own um, category of film. There's Rocky Five. There's Star Trek Nemesis, there's Indy 4, uh, there are others which are just like, you know, they piss on this this, this very high calibre uh, you know, in, a, in a big bad way, which really sucks. Um, so there is that in terms of Beverly Hills Cop 3. I remember renting out a film with Rob Bryant when we were like 13 or something, and this is when we were renting out every Van Damme and every Dolph Lundgren and just like you know, lots of Seagal and just really you know bad films um, and we rented out a film called Raiders of the Living Dead which was, quite, <laughs> which was a zombie film very cheap um, and I remember then being like this is the worst film ever made and at that age to be like, this is the worst film I've made. When we were watching Red Scorpion, we were watching AWOL, we were watching everything, Cyborg, and worse things without even name stars like that. To, for me at that age to say, and I kept this in my, you know, in my category for years as a teenager, Raiders of the Living Dead is the worst film ever made. For me to categorise that at that age when I watched and loved everything, that's got to mean something. So there's a little shout out to Raiders of the Living Dead. Although I will say in retrospect, it was probably made for like $10. And, you know, it's unfair to compare it to a studio film. But it's a little shout out to, to that. <laughs> Is that your formal answer as well? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned things like, you know, Batman and Robin, for example, yeah. Indy 4, Die Hard 5. But yes, I have the written pissing down... pissing on legacy is a big deal, isn't it? Without yeah. the pissing on the legacy angle, I have written down Raiders of the Living Dead. But that's more of a, like a sort of a homage to my previous regeneration. Yeah, um, yeah there, you know, there are obviously a lot of bad films and no one wants to make a bad film, apparently. But yeah, so Sometimes that's what do. I've got. Yeah. Nice show. Uh, I can ask you this one. Number 11. What's the film you could or have seen the most? I think it's Back to the Future. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's more than... I mean, is yours lying the Witch and Water? Probably. But, the, well, well let, me, let me get to that in a minute. But why do you, yeah. why do you think about... Oh, man, I watched it every day when mm. I was growing up, pretty much. It's either that or The Goonies. I don't think I movie. knew that. That's oh. fascinating. I mean, I yeah, watched I knew those it films, but off by heart. Like I knew the whole script. My mum would tell you I knew the whole script. I used to just do the whole movie when I wasn't watching the movie. Like I just loved the movie. I bet you were popular. That's a callback to our very first episode for the Goonies pod. So there you go. I've been paying attention. Uh, that's really interesting. To I me. told you my Infinity Loop theory on Back to the Future, haven't I? Yes, but but say it now. Okay. Well, look. The Infinity Loop theory is basically that Doc Brown is, for me, well, just I think he is established as being a semi-decent scientist without being the full package, maybe. You know, certainly when we go back, he's yeah, he's got the flux capacitor, but 
it's not all there. Like, you know, lots of stuff in the Doc Brown science thing don't work with dog food lands and, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know. I mean, he, he had a lot of misses and then the flux capacitor was his hit, but thing. he still was scatty. He's a bit yeah. like the doctor. He, he's, he's scatty. Yeah. I think there's my argument, I guess, hinges on would he have finished the deal without receiving the DeLorean and being able to dismantle it and remantle it or whatever, analyse it when Marty brings it back, if you know what I mean. So all I'm trying to say is that we're watching a full, like an infinity loop that has always happened. It just happens as an infinity loop. Like there's never not been a moment where Doc Brown didn't have Marty bring the DeLorean back. But he didn't invent the DeLorean because of that. He invented it because he fell off the toilet. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? He drew the flux capacity, which was the thing that he thought would power time travel. I guess the vessel and maybe some of the, I don't know if there's other components. But you're right, Sheppy, you're right. I guess we can we can we can agree that the flux capacitor is time travel and he yeah. did invent that through banging his head, but it still came from him. It wasn't divine intervention. That's true. Yeah. But it is a ramshackle machine. He is a genius but with all of that coming with it is all the loose wires because a human brain can't cope with being a genius so it's a, it was a shot you know, it was a lightning a bolt of lightning for him <laughs> to to do so i would agree with that certainly i don't uh, think he invented the delorean because marty brought him the delorean well i just i feel like this is just my little interpretation of it is that you know if if we don't see time as linear which and I know do. they kind of do. They do. And they do in two as well. Okay. They do fully pull that. So it's right. kind of... I'm kind of seeing number one as an isolated movie almost for this theory. Absolutely. But I'm just saying, like, if we imagine it as just this constant and the idea that it could be an infinity loop, that Marty has always gone back, always gone back, mm. always gone back, and that's just part of the fabric. Mm-hmm. And every time he has gone back, and he has existed, mm. even when his parents grew up to be the parents we saw in 1985, mm. he went back. Yeah. But he so, um, but I think what we see in the movie is the specific loop where he decides to go into the cafe. Right. And it's just that little mini one. That's yes. the one we see in the movie. Yes. And that's it's just that version of the loop. Yes. And, um, and it's just a little ping. It's a bit like the, Groundhog Day in that he's done it a million times or a billion times, but this is the time which he got right, and that's what we see. Yeah. And he doesn't know it, of course. No uh, one knows it. That, but that is great. And yes, I like yeah. that. And that's it in a yeah. nutshell. Yeah. yeah. Babes in the wood. When I was only three. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. No, fantastic. Oh, I'm a big fan of that. That That is good stuff. Um, what have you popped down, Shepard? I didn't write Lion. last... I didn't actually write um, down Lion, Rich and Wardrobe. But yeah, that would be up there. But the thing is, what it, what it comes down to is the films that I saw a billion times when I was a kid, but also films that I've continued to watch. So I guess that's the key. I have seen Lion, Rich and Wardrobe over the last 20 years, but probably like three times. Whereas, let's say, Octopussy, I watched a million (laughs) times when I was a kid, and I watched a lot through my teenage years, and a lot through every subsequent decade. Not as much when you're a kid, of course. I rented out Octopussy when I was a kid. I watched it, went to bed, woke up in the morning, watched it again, watched watched it until sit, and then it had to be returned (laughs) to Village Video. So I would, you know, I just didn't get tired of it. So... Various Bond films, but Octopussy comes to mind. 
as one option. Now, I don't watch Octopussy more than about once every three years these days, but nonetheless, it's still there in, in some sort of thing which comes back. So there's that Star Wars Episode Four, of course. I watched yeah. it a million times as a kid and it's never really gone away, but less now. I guess I watch as an adult... I do watch Octopussy more than Star Wars. Like I watch Star Wars maybe once every seven years these days. So (laughs) it is less. So Octopussy might be up there, I think. Um, So yeah, so I'm going to say Octopussy and Star Wars. Uh, They're good answers. Yeah, I think so. I'd say Star Wars is up there for me. Octopussy-ish, but nowhere near. Nowhere near. Yeah. Nowhere near. Well, Octopussy is a very special film. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, the next one is a fascinating question. For you, Sheppy, particularly. I'm really interesting. Interesting? I'm really interested. <laughs> you are interesting. Thanks, man. I've been waiting for you to notice. In a sort of like, in a way, a car crash is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chicken-necking over here. <laughs> um, okay, what's the film that's made you laugh the most? It's hard stuff. I mean, I can say this. Uh, Borat in the cinema. I've only oh, seen Borat Jesus. once. Immediately wish I thought of that, yeah. In the cinema, when the whole sitting on the face bit and all of that, I was crying. (laughs) And I think it was the only time I can think of, certainly, that I was hysterically crying and laughing in the cinema. I can't think of another example. But I've only seen Borat once because that sort of thing I find wildly uncomfortable and excruciating, actually. So it's hard to watch. But that bit in Borat, I was beside myself I could have fallen off if there were more space in between the seats at the Odeon I would have fallen off the seat but my legs got in the way so Borat is one answer but again it says how you know what's made me laugh the most that was one instance you've got stuff like Oh Kids Oh Kids in Vacation where that's made me laugh without watching the film so that might lend yeah, so that's yeah. my second answer is vacation. I like that. I like that. Like, I, I like the idea of it being having residual without right. even needing to watch it as well. Yes, that's nice. something that triggers you later. You know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's it's tricky because I don't necessarily go ha 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 when I'm watching something. Sometimes I might go pa, but generally. <laughs> I'm not going to like guffaw or anything. So there are special occasions and vacation, of course. I, you know, I watched when I was a kid and with you and so on, and it had special, special resonance. So, yeah. so those are my two answers. Those are beautiful answers, Sheppy. And you triggered something there, which is to say that during the pandemic and everything, you know, obviously cinemas were closed and people have this big thing around, you've got to go back and watch things on the big screen, Top Gun, Maverick, etc. And like, I just, I can't help but feel that like, I don't watch enough horror in the cinema because I'm too much of a wuss. But I feel like when you watch comedies in the cinema, it's a very special thing that you're talking there. And I hadn't even written these two down, but like Alpha Papa, the Alan Partridge Mm -hmm. movie. I remember watching it in the cinema and the whole place exploding with Alan Partridge's at the very beginning when he's just uh, singing to himself in his car at the beginning. It was amazing. In between us as well, just honourable mention when they're in the club and they dance over to the girls. I've never been in a cinema (laughs) that's laughed harder than that moment. And of course, laughter is infectious. And If you're in a full screen and everyone's going for it and you're into it, of course that's going to lead to stuff. Amazing. I mean, I... I hadn't even thought about the residuals of vacation, which is a brilliant answer. 
but and I've kind of gone actually I've gone residuals but I didn't think of vacation which is weird because this movie is way lower down on my my top list but airplane oh well no and, fair um, play I, I've got it as a joint winner with Dumb and Dumber like nice but both of them I watched on video for the first time weirdly and like so it's, I just yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the cinema thing so yeah but airplane man that's the same thing like you know yeah it, that film's in my bones you know all the, you, you're just gonna say one line of it and then i'm immediately your friend I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. don't call me shirley it's a classic <laughs> or, or like drinking problem or any, yeah i mean again exactly i mean that comes down to like what are five star comedies you know it's yeah. that, that sort of thing but that's valid and it makes me happy i will also honorable mention um, there's a film called Kiss Exposed, which is this kind of Spinal Tap rip-off uh, fake documentary about Kiss that was made in the late 70s or early 80s. And I saw that at university at the height of my Kiss love with people who were similarly... We all kind of l- fell into love with Kiss at the same time. And we discovered, or someone had, Kiss Exposed on video... And we watched it over what was called the 80s weekend, where we just went nuts. We closed the doors, we locked the doors, we sealed the room, and we just watched a lot of 80s stuff over like a few a few <laughs> days. And one of them, and our brains just fell out, fell out. And we watched Kiss Exposed. It's so bad, and they give up halfway through, and it just turns into a music video, and then with commentary over the top from like a live <laughs> performance. They just, it gives up. It stop. It just stops. They, you know, but the, but it's it's amazing. It's awful, and dare I say there were outside intoxicants involved. But generally, it was the shared experience. We laughed at that film whilst watching it. You know, to the point where it would damage our health, not to mention our vertebrae, <laughs> and also for the next ten years. Just mentioning anything like one, two, three steps to Paul Stanley's door. It's not a funny line, but you say that to us in 2005, we would shit our balls. So that, that's that got to be an honourable mention. That's for Kiss so Exposed. nice. Yeah, special. I love this whole thing around the residuals and the ongoing quotes mm. and the aura around it. Like Anchorman has it. Yes. You know, Team America, I think, yes, has it. Like there's some certain absolute uber classics. I, I think the genre is creaking at the moment, but it'll be back, right? Nice. I don't know. But yeah, nice, Sheffy. Comedies are tricky. Comedies and horror are very specific, of course. Uh, and, you know, laughter and being scared you know, are very, 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 very specific and personal to the individual. And it, it totally counts on the shared experience, the personal experience, the where you were at that point in your life, who you were with, all of that. It's very specific. You know, yeah. Humour and fear, you know, it's... So, so yes, yes, says I. Nice, Sheppy. Well, let me ask you, what's your worst sequel? I'm going to say Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, I'm going to say any of those ones that we talked about before that were like, you know, piss on the legacy of like other yeah. good films. Um, a lot of people don't like Godfather 3. And in comparison, it's not as good. But, you know, it's not the worst sequel, obviously. You could say, I don't know, fucking Spectre, because it's the <laughs> Daniel Craig films are connected, or even No Time to Clank, maybe, uh, if you like. Um, I don't know, what do you think? I've got my my answer. I obviously have BH3 as well, but I, I had another answer for you, Sheffy. Do it. Matrix Reloaded. Oh, God, yes, brilliant, yes, yes. I 
think the promise mm. it's 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 maybe second only to Beverly Hills Cop like it's there it's every the now massive and then, come down oh my god it? every you know and unlike Beverly Hills Cop 3 this doesn't have the advantage of having a ridiculously obviously slashed budget because it had a huge budget uh, yeah, you, yeah the, the, the two Matrix sequels um, I haven't seen since the cinema but just that fact kind of I guess speaks volumes um, that film like the fact that the Matrix ends how it does if they'd never made any sequels I would now be saying the same thing like with Last Boy Scout for example where I'm like they could have made so many sequels and it could have been amazing but maybe it's best or Flash Gordon yeah. Maybe it's best they didn't, you know, and, and, and they kept it pure. So, yeah, exactly. Very good. That's a great answer. They should have, yeah. Have you seen the latest? No, actually. Ooh. Apparently it's rubbish. What do you think? Everyone, again, was up for it. Everyone Look. was like, ooh. Oh, by the way, whilst we're talking, Keanu, the third, Bill and Ted face the music. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, everyone was well up for it. I was well up for it. It's not very good. No, no I saw it too. It's yeah. not very good. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like they. Oh, by the way, Men in Black 2. Pretty shit. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Mm. And we saw Men in Black last weekend, and it was the first time I'd seen Men in Black for about 15 or 20 years. Men in Black is excellent. Uh, Men in Black 2, I haven't seen since the cinema, and that, again, probably means I shouldn't, because I remember that was just bad. I just all I remember from that was one LOL where Will Smith's on a big right, squidgy the, thing, right, with the, the, the bubble wrap, and he's yeah. trying to get off. I remember that. I remember you and I in what two thousand ninety nine or whatever when that film came out. We both said that's the only good bit. Yeah, I, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> they just, they, yeah, they 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 dropped the ball, didn't they? Massively, yeah, massively. It's weird, isn't it? Like people don't recognize their own magic source from the movie who yeah. who's up there at the top yeah. not recognizing like you need will smith scraping the table across the fucking it's, hallway you need I don't know. that charisma like to do things that are silly you know because you got your sonnefeld and he made adam's family values adam's family is amazing adam's family values is officially a sequel that's better than the first one so there's no excuse from the sonnefeld camp it just didn't work. Yeah. And I was really excited for Men in Black 2, I remember. And it just does not work. It's shit. So there you go. Love it. So, Sheppy, uh, next question is, what are two or three of your favourite sequels? Because in our you know shoulderspod.com website we have favourite sequels and I believe your official answer is Terminator 2 it was I stand by it still quite right which is good it, it does change but right of course now, it's still. all flexy flexy happy flexy <laughs> mine is Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan and that that stands up but again Wrath of Wrath of Khan isn't a sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture it's a sequel to the episode Space Seed so it works as a sequel, but not in the conventional it sense. so tricky, this podcast. Trekker, motherfucker. Trekker, says I. But there you go. I'll say this. Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, Star Trek 4, that's a trilogy. Star Trek 1, the motion picture, Star Trek 5, Star Trek 6 are kind of standalone, or they're sequels to the show, at the very least. So that's a certain thing. So I say Star Trek 2, but in a sense it almost doesn't count because it's a sequel to, a, to an episode, not the previous film. 
So with that in mind, I have other answers. Uh, as a kid, I loved Superman 2. I still love Ooh. Superman 2. Superman 2 is lovely, but at a certain point when I was about 20, I watched Superman the movie on DVD, widescreen, so on, and I realised Superman the movie is amazing, and it's basically amazing, you know, five-star, basically, and Superman 2 isn't as good. So that was a revelation on my part. But that, that, but I always, you know, but a lot of people say Spider-Man to use And when you get to superhero films these days, especially, you can't. It feels like a kind of like a cheat, but you can't really count it. You can't count the Spider-Man film with Tom Holland when they're in Venice and all of that as as a sequel. I mean, it is, but it's also this one element in this huge tapestry. Yeah, it's tricky. Because right. I do prefer that film to the first one with Tom Holland, No Way Home, Homecoming. But I don't know, it's tricky. Um, because, because, yeah, like the, the second Captain America film is arguably, you know, you could say yeah. it's better. But again, it's part of this massive, massive tapestry. So I'm going to excuse myself from those in that it doesn't quite count. If you can count from Russia with Love as a sequel, which I do, because they had only made one film before it, and this was the direct, you know, successor from You're that. This question. And it yeah. does mention Doctor No. It does the character of Doctor No. It meant it has Sylvia. What's her face comes back. It is a sequel. So I'm going to say from Russia with Love is a perfect sequel. And again, the book order is different to the film order, so that works. Everyone always says Empire. Again, that's true, but it does yeah. kind of fit as like you could say it's a three act structure, those three films, and it's the middle act if you like. But that's you know, but you could say Empire. Um, what do you think, Shepard? You've just nailed the question. I've got a couple of little addendums, but let me just say you've nailed it. Mm. I want to just add that, like, what you've just said there about Superman yes, Superman the movie is better than Superman 2 for me, but Superman 2. You know, that is, it's one, then two, and then, you know, yeah. any other m movie that mentions Superman or has Superman is after those two yes, movies. Of course. Basically, whatever yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice. So, um, look, again, with your structure, and perhaps even more so than an empire, Back to the Future 2, mm. I think is a great sequel. I wrote that down too. Yeah, because I just think it's a great sequel it that really is. plays. And builds and plays maybe yeah. better than any other. Yeah, and, it does something with time travel. They, they, you know, going back into the other film, and that's happened in other things since then. But I'm not sure if that ever happened before Back to the Future Two. Going back into the first film, Back to the Future Two, you got your future shit, you got your dark 1985 shit, and then you got your 1955 shit, and it's those three elements, and each of those sections are wonderful the only thing i don't like is that in the zemeckis verse if you're an offspring you're identical to your parent mm. and no one questions it and i have a problem with that they were doing like russell t murphy davis does that thing. as well an eddie in, murphy makeup thing is weird it's just weird well the makeup thing is one thing but having literally the plot revolve around michael j fox's son yeah being identical to the father to the point where you can't tell the difference a griff can't tell the difference that's bullshit. So that's my only major problem with that film. Ow! By the way, Worrying Boner, Michael J. Fox is his own daughter. 
Bring it on, no. man. Do oh, it. God. Dad? Dad, is I'm that you? I'm cancelling the podcast. I'm, I'm well into that. I'm cancelling the I'm podcast. I'm well into that. Uh, <laughs> I'll put Godfather 2, because I love the experience of seeing that with you for the first time, and I just love it. I think it's brilliant. Uh, actually, it's still impenetrable. There's still elements of it I don't Speaking understand. Speaking of Michael J. But, Fox's daughter. Jesus. And then I put it down... <laughs> Look who's talking to oh, Jesus. C-double-O. Only because I wanted to mention, in terms of sequels, I think, and I hadn't even thought about this until you posed the question, I think I did the first ever SOG between you and I, maybe. Oh, yes, you're right. With Look Who's Barking. If you don't count Jaws 19 or Beverly Hills Cop 37, you're right. but you're right, though, in terms Look of Who's like Barking. A, a, it felt pure and new. And, and you, you beat it. I mean, you <laughs> said, after we saw... Uh, look who's talking to at the cinema you said the next one should be look who's barking and it's about the dogs and then a few years later they did make the third one look who's talking now with the dogs so and I bet your version was better than that version I say I bet because I never saw look who's talking now but I did see look who's talking and look who's talking to at the cinema with you so I'm all for it Uh, Home Alone 2 we also saw Home Alone and Home Alone 2 at the cinema those are retreads but they work. I, I like both of those. Uh, that's amazing. Can I make some honourable mentions? Not for favourite sequels, but favourite sequel titles. Oh, yeah. Um, which is just a do where's my card to... Uh, Seriously, dude. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, dude. Where's my card? And then Mamma Mia. Like, Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah, we well, that again. works. That's the only like, reason they made the film, other uh, than the billion dollars the first film made. It's which, just so cool. It's yeah. like, those are real, seriously go-to-lunch sequel titles. I just yes. wanted to make honourable mentions. No, no, that is great. I'm going to do a couple of honourable mentions um, in terms of X-Men 2. And I, me- I know I said that superhero sequels don't count, but I will say I love X-Men. Mm. And, when, and I loved X-Men when I saw it at the cinema. And then a few years, three years later, I saw X-Men 2. And I was just sitting in the cinema, I think in Buenos Aires, actually, and I'm watching it and I'm like, this is a perfect film. And I don't know if it still stands up as being a perfect film, but X2 is easily, easily my favourite X-Men film. And it it, it just, every, oh, there's your Brian Cox connection. By the way, Succession, you've got your Brian Cox and your Danny Houston, and they both oh, played the same nice. character in the X-Men universe. I wonder if they talked about that. They didn't. They didn't talk about that. But that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, so X-Men 2 is an honourable mention because that's a sequel which I, I absolutely adore. And I remember watching that film at the cinema about maybe a third of the way through. And I was just like, this is so fucking good. So so that's that's a little that's thing. Awesome. And I know it's a prequel, but Temple of Doom um, is, is fucking amazing. And yeah. it, it, it counts as a sequel in that, of course, it comes... It was made after Raiders, and not only that, it references Raiders, which doesn't make sense with continuity, but the gun joke, etc. And yes, I believe in the power now. Well, what happens one year from now when you don't believe in the power of the Ark? Doesn't make sense. So with that in mind, Temple of Doom, I think, is worthy of a sequel honourable mention. That's nice, Shippy. I love it. All right. Your next question was, what's your favourite series of films now? I think we're both going to have the same answer. Bond? Yes. Yes. I think in the end it just had to be. Mm -hmm. Can I give you my reason? Yes. Which is that I think for consistency it's Lord of the Rings if you don't count The Hobbit. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're just talking about, you know, Fellowship, Towers. Yeah. I think there's a little trilogy 
clump. It's those three. Hmm. But I think they do have the Hobbit attached or whatever. I don't no, know. No, they don't. Uh, they well. don't. We can really say no. It's like saying the Star... Well, mm, it's like saying Star Wars 1, 2, 3. If you're talking favourite trilogies, oh. you can say... I feel they've butchered that. I feel they've butchered that. Fair. I feel they've butchered indie. They've butchered that. I think... So this is... That was my thing. Like I was just going to say, like I feel like with Bond, you've got your... I don't want to say this without triggering you, but like, you know, you have, I haven't even seen it 40 years or whatever, so I shouldn't <laughs> even say it, but like diamonds are forever or whatever. Like, you've got your little outliers that people don't like as much or whatever. Be Some people the... fucking loved them. I will say, for me, <laughs> diamonds, Thunderball, and the three end Craig films are the worst. But yeah. I never thought I would leave Die Another Day off that list, but compared to those three Craig films, Die wow. Another Day is a fucking genius oh masterpiece. Oh my god! Yeah, that's mega. Well, look, anyway, <laughs> what I want to say is like you, but you get to that level of canon, yeah, and you can lose a few. And I feel like you can't have you... canon without a couple of balls. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, that's true. Rock on, Tommy. <laughs> and then basically, what I love is like. If India had done from 1981 through like every three, four, yeah. five years yeah. a movie, yeah. we could have forgiven a crystal skull. Yeah. It would be lost in the lexicon and Indy would be the obvious answer right now. Yeah. Because I think for some reason I have a tiny bit, a, a dash, like a 0.1% more on indie if it was the same sort of well, quality. Well, the thing is, you've got like 25 Bond films and yeah. four indie films. So mm. You've got three... I'm going to say, per- yeah, I mean, perfect, but you know, I mean, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade are not as good as Raiders, but they are basically three perfect films, I think. Um, and Crystal Skull is not. Whereas Bond, you've got ups and downs, ups and downs, some ups, some downs. Even Diamonds Are Forever, which I do not rate particularly, has the fight with Peter Franks in the lift, which is absolutely brilliant. So, and, and the car chase, which ends with the lean over on the two wheels and yeah. all that. That car chase is amazing. The the moon buggy escape is great. I'm all for that. So, um, even the worst Bond films have good bits, and they are mixed into nostalgia with me. Apart from the Craig's, so I am more harsh with the Craig's. Maybe if the Craig's came out when I was seven, I would be more happy with them. But they didn't. I'm so I'm not. So, but nonetheless, yeah consistency um, percentage wise bond absolutely more than anything else it wasn't hard that question in the end as soon as I thought well of course these days you could say the Marvel films I think there are many many more excellent Marvel films than so-so or bad Marvel films I think there are actually very few bad Marvel films I say as a Dark World fan but it's 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 too South Wales Argos for me I can't say that. and also bond it spans decades and it's it's fucking good man that said if bond wasn't to pick up from where it is now marvel could overtake before we pop our clogs yes well I before that. i pop my clogs now listen <laughs> i think it's catchable bond i'm not saying it's unassailable um hang on do you know what i mean though it's not unassailable no um, Bond has dipped before and it has risen. Rise like a phoenix, Jeepers. which is the best non-Bond film ever song written. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, 
You're right. There's no reason why it can't get good again. There's no reason. Maybe it won't, but there's no reason why it can't. Because Bond reinvents itself like Doctor Who every so often. And there's no reason why it can't get better. So optimistic I am. Oh my God. As M. Yoda said. (laughs) That would be a nice crossover. (laughs) Um, All right. What is your favourite book adaptation, Sheppy? Well, now, so, it really, you have to have read the book and seen the film for Mm. this. Because I wrote down, like, as a sort of a side thing, like Die Hard. And you've read... Oh, yeah. No Roderick type. Thorpe's yeah, no, Roderick. Nothing Lasts Forever. Nothing Lasts Forever, which sounds like a really good Bond film. Um, but I haven't read the book, but I would say that's got to be up there because it's one of the best films ever made. Um, I've also nice. got The Shining. I didn't even think of it, by the way. But yeah. Uh, I've read The Shining. I've seen the film. Um, I like them both. Uh, but, yeah, in terms of adaptation, the book of The Shining has Wendy as the kind of the Ripley or Jamie Lee Curtis or Neve Campbell, like heroine who su- survives and fights and so on. Whereas Kubrick turns Sir Franklin into a very annoying, whiny character. And you kind of want Jack, because he's Jack, yeah. to kill her, which is genius. So it transcends the source material, I would say, for a lot of reasons, but that's one reason. So yeah. I would say The Shining is one. I'm going to say, because I mentioned it before, but from Russia with Love, it's a good book. Now, with Bond, you can't often say this because the books and the films are nothing, nothing like each other. But the early films, Dr. No from Russia, are at least 50% from, which is which counts as an adaptation, and maybe even 60 or 70, 60%. Um, so from Russia, I'm going to say, is a fucking fantastic adaptation. I've also got Green Mile, I've got Fight Club, and I've got Cloud Atlas. Green Mile is an interesting one, by the way. We'll come back to those other two in a minute, but like, mm. Green Mile, yeah. you're a fan. Big fan. Wow. Mm. And I read a lot the book. of detractors, because it's too long, by the way. Oh, yeah, well, people say, oh, it's too long, it's too long. Go fuck yourself, you cunts. <laughs> Go electrocute yourself, you can't. <laughs> Forever. It's my, it's my. And and not just with a fucking damp sponge, with a fucking undamped sponge. Yeah, right. Can't. Stick it under your head. <laughs> Old Sparky's waiting, you loser. Um, I don't mind a long film if every minute has a purpose. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the Branner Hamlet. That's fucking four hours long, but I wouldn't That's take a good out a second. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and then you said Fight Club and one other book. Yes, nice man. And uh, I've read Cloudless, I've read Fight Club, I've read Green Mile, I've read From Russia, I've read The Shining. Uh, Cloudless, but all of these cases, with the exception of Green Mile, I saw the film first, and that's a big element which has to be addressed. You know, when you see the film first and then you read the book, you know, that will influence you. In terms Mm. of Green Mile, I did read the book when it was released you know sequentially like in in chapters in little books you had to wait for the next one i read that and i fucking loved it but i was let down in true stephen king fashion for me i love reading stephen king he has wonderful prose i find it very easy to read his massive massive books but usually 
I do find the ending unsatisfactory for any Stephen King book. And when I start reading, I'm like, here I go on this massive journey, but I'm doing this for the journey, not for the ending. And I say yeah, that to myself at the beginning. With, the, with some exceptions, Misery, It, both of those. But generally... But with Green Mile, I read it. I was like, meh, about the end, about, yeah. Maybe it's because the the middle was easily the best bit and therefore the ending was less good. Not to say it was bad, but it wasn't as good as the middle. So that's why I didn't love it. Whereas the film seemed to hold together and just work better as a whole. So that's my other yeah, thing about that. Brilliant, Sheppy. Look... I'm going to, I hope you'll forgive me. I'm going to like kind of cross into my worst adaptation too because I think it kind of speaks to why the best is the best, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, and they're both my formal answers will be Danny Boyle movies, funnily enough. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. So um, my, my sort of take on this, and I agree with everything you just said, and, you know, I just want to say like, I think I've been furious in the past where, like when I was younger, I was furious when even a microcosm of a, a novel I loved was changed. And I've kind of kept a younger answer because I guess hmm. the ripples still hold. Yeah. But I remember on my worst adaptation, so my worst adaptation was The Beach. Uh. And I remember being furious. They changed things and mm-hmm. he got together with, I can't remember what the name of the yeah. girl was, you know, but yeah. essentially like I didn't like that aspect of it. And I felt like it was Leo kind of playing his cards as mm. an up and coming A-list. Or at the, got... at the very least Hollywood saying he's yeah. got to get with the girl. Yeah, and it just felt rubbish. And I didn't like that. I liked that it was a bit unrequited and it sort of spoke a, a little bit more to the travelling experience where yeah. they otherwise nailed it. So it made and me the even human more furious. experience, frankly, where you're like, this is an amazing girl, but she doesn't dig me and she's with, and someone, she's with else. someone else. Yeah, Jesus. exactly. Um, so so the fact that the film had her leave the other guy and go with him, never mind that it's Leo, and, but just in terms of that, I totally agree. That, specific decision didn't chime it yeah. still doesn't chime and makes me angry yeah so it's an easy way to get out of the question but also into it and just say look i didn't like that and it made me furious um and look things can change and he was american in it i think unapologetically yes. which is fine i'd love to have seen the ewan version yes. without him getting together with her but that's fine um but the um but then i will say as well like I'm not against, particularly as I get older, I don't mind a total reinversion of things. And I've, I've put like a couple of honourable mentions for my favourites. So on the favourite book ad- adaptation, I've gone with like High Fidelity. Mm. I think putting him in Chicago with John Cusack instead of, you know, London mm. or whatever, like, but they got the juice of it. Yeah. And they made it brilliant. If you get the juice, that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. So just get the intention and like work Get the vibe. It. Yeah. They nailed that. And and same Romeo and Juliet, Baz Lernham. Yeah. I think that's one of the best, best, best because like like, you know, you're taking something that's so indelible and yet you take it to Verona Verona Beach mm. instead of City of Verona. I mean And the guns are called swords. Oh, oh, it's, God, it's, it's, it's kind so of cool. like like almost grown worthy, but the film is is so passionate and with panache yeah. and beautiful and cinematic, it's like yes uh, totally agree. Yeah. Although, have you seen Elvis yet? No. Flipping it. Nice. Look, I have a couple of issues, but there's moments of pure shiverness. Mm. And I, I sort of watched it thinking, God, I'd love to watch this again. 
but God, it's so long. Yeah, oh and no, God, you're one of those. It's exhausting. Like, I don't like long it. films. It's not that. It's 88 like, minutes or it's just, bust. It's, it, it feels a bit long and saggy it. in parts. I but I will say, like, there's so many transcendent Bazzy moments, Sheppy. Mm, no, I so love a bit of Baz. I do love Baz. And it gives you shivers and, like, it's so cool. Mm. Good old life. Anyway, um, but my answer on the favourite book ad- adaptation is Train Spotting. Oh, that's good. I think stuff. it gets the juice and just in a pure cinematic way builds something incredible, right? Yes. I get so many shivers off that movie and I even love the sequel as well to that. Like oh, in its nice. own way. The sequel sure. is three, four stars, but it doesn't matter. It's I just, just didn't like the fact they they had the audacity to call it T two. You can't do that it's like when Paul Haggis made a film called Crash I don't care that there were previous films before the Cronenberg called Crash once Cronenberg made Crash you can't make another film called Crash yeah. so it's that sort of thing I don't call it fucking T2 call it Trainspotting 2 Boyle <laughs> I will lance you so, have you watched it yet oh yeah yeah sure yeah yeah yeah. I saw do you like, like it as a movie T2 to get the title <laughs> Terminator uh, uh, Trainspotting 2 I, I thought was fine um, but yeah it was fine I like a again we're kind of flip flopping in our sequel things but I'll say this quickly on a sequel basis I always love it like Hangover 2 a lot of people hate I should have put that as my answer maybe. Oh. Hangover 2 um, a lot of people hate that and I get why they do. I totally do. But I'll be honest, if you're a clever writer and you think, I literally want to rehash the first movie and I want to play on the beats of the first movie and reinvent them, then they do it very cleverly yeah. in Hangover 2. And I think T2 does, Trainspotting yeah. T does the same thing. Yes. Like, you know, just boom, 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 and he's on the treadmill and then has right. his heart attack and it's cute, you know? Nice. It's like really... I love all that stuff. Yes. So anyway, anyway, but like, favorite book adaptation, transporting worst adaptation, The Beach. Okay. So what's what's your worst? Jeffrey? I mean, the one I've written is the Rachel Papers, but the only reason I said that because I know actually a lot of people love that film with Dexter Fletcher. Um, I read the book and I, the classic mistake of watching the film too soon after reading the book, and also I didn't relate to the character in the Rachel Papers, but. Um, he was more unrelatable in the in the, t- in the in the film. So that's what I wrote down really, really randomly because, you know, it's all subjective, that sort of thing with an adaptation. You have your own idea in your mind and you shouldn't watch the film because it's someone else's adaptation. It's not what you see in your mind. And you've got practicalities like an actor. You cast someone, it doesn't look like the person, how you see them in your mind, blah, blah, blah. You have to combine characters or make shortcuts and all these sort of things. So it's impossible. So flippantly, I say the Rachel Papers um i don't know about anything else i mean i'll stick with that yeah can i say something quickly around like a movie that i've never read the book of the constant gardener oh yeah have you seen that i have i mean i saw it at the cinema surprise weepy one Uh, yeah i don't know if you felt the same but like when fines is thinking of rachel weiss Oh, in the garden, oh, he starts oh to cry. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, just a little aside. No, but... absolutely. That's that's good stuff. Okay, next question. We've a few more to go. Um, Is there a film where you read the book first, then saw the film, and still God, preferred the film? Because I 
prefer the film of Jaws and I prefer the film of The Shining, but I didn't read the books first. Also, The Fight Club, I do prefer the film, but I didn't read the book first, and that is vital. You read the book first. So, look, I went with two answers here, but they're the flip on your question, but not the flip you just gave, which is to say, in both answers, I read the book first, and I saw the film, but in one answer, I preferred the book massively, and the other answer, I preferred the film, and they're both the same author. Oh, that's good. Um, Ian McEwan. Good. So I preferred the book when I read in. I read the book first with Enduring Love, then watched the movie and wasn't. You really... liked the film. I, I, I liked the book, the book more. Yeah. And then I preferred the film to Atonement. Okay. There I thought the go. film was amazing. I thought it caught it so cinematically. I thought Saoirse Ronan was the upcoming. It had star. the right stuff. It had the right stuff. Everything the was in right place. Stuff. <laughs> Bloody hell. Thank How you. many beers have you had? The optimal amount of beer. <laughs> don't drink a second one. Don't, <laughs> ask, I don't know how we contain this. But it won't last long. You're going to be quick. <laughs> We're on a downward trajectory. <laughs> Shit. Ask everything quickly. Um, but, just, um, but I just want to say, like, Atonement was like all these stars coming up at the right time. Kira and bloody thing Maco. we did with the Scottish fella, yeah. Ex, Professor X and this other thing. But, what, Patrick you know, Stewart? No, oh God. Mako, James Mako. And they're all coming together and like, it's really cinematic. The, yeah. the whole Dunkirk thing was amazing. one shot, the Dunkirk oh, shot. amazing. Yeah. Like the whole thing was amazing. And yeah. it, honestly, to just call out how bloody uneducated I can be sometimes, I read Atonement and didn't even get the twist until I was nudged by a friend of mine and then reread it again. That whole thing around she didn't get her Atonement right. sort of thing, you know. And like, I just, um, and then of course gave me the massive shiver. I was like, I've got to reread that. And then, of course, the movie lands that really well. Look, I. No, I that's great. wonderful. No, yeah, sometimes, so. um, you know, it's like the, the adaptation of Stand By Me um, in the film the Will Wheaton character pulls the gun on, you know, and Will Wheaton is like the main, 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 he's the narrator, he's Richard Dreyfus, and he pulls the gun on Kiefer Sutherland, whereas in the book, it's the River Phoenix character who pulls the gun, and they changed it, and Stephen King apparently went to Rob Reiner at the premiere and said, you make, you know, that's a better choice. So sometimes, shoulders of giants, baby. So, that can happen. There's a line in one of the Harry Potter films which they put in, which is actually genius, where I think it's the fifth film and fifth book, where uh, Imelda Sultan is like, you know, tortures Harry early in the film and is like, I shall not tell lies, I shall not tell lies. Yeah. And later in the film, she's carried off by the giant spiders and she's shouting, Harry, Harry, tell them I don't mean them any harm. And he says, sorry, miss, I shall not tell lies. And that's not in the book. And that's genius. So that always sticks in my mind. So it's good stuff. JK ever went to the director and went, that's a good choice. Oh, I mean, I don't know if she ever said the words. Maybe she sobbed slightly into her popcorn (laughs) at the premiere, but it, it works. So, you know, shoulders of giants, shoulders of giants. Um, by the way, I love that that other anecdote. That's amazing that King would say that. Like, yeah. Imagine that. Like, it's your baby and yeah. someone else does it better. And like they that. just do a, oh, a twist. Jeepers. Yeah, no, it's it's solid. It's solid stuff. So, so yes. Um, in terms of that, I mean, The Green Mile for me, I read the book. I saw the film. I, 
and I preferred the film. So, so they, wow. so there you go. But it, but they, it's a very, very faithful adaptation. Mm. So make of that what you will. Yeah. Nice ships. Um, the next one is um, uh, what book needs to be adapted that hasn't been adapted. Well, look, I've cheated a little. Good because <laughs> my my answer. I'm very lucky to say is happening and it's going to be the movie event of this year maybe later in the year wow but White Noise Don DeLillo I did that at A level and I loved it and oh. then like they've only gone and bloody got it as Adam Driver in it like oh. who we were talking about earlier but yeah. I'll say again for the pod it's like suddenly becoming my favourite actor like after Black Klansman he's just amazing and like just you know same same look but different persona every yeah. time um, so that's so exciting that he's going to be in White Noise and it's an amazing book and it's so cool and I mm. can't wait so that's so amazing um, and that's happening this year and then but I did also just put because it's already been adapted another one for you which is just to say I know this has been adapted before but I want it again proper like it keeps having full starts like Morgan Freeman was too old I think they did something else with someone else but bottom line is I want James Patterson's Alex oh. Cross character. I want the kiss the girls. I want all of that but done properly. Right age, right actor, right now. And just to pull my Black Klansman thread <laughs> from my white noise, I want Washington Jr. in nice. there as Alex Cross. I love that guy's charisma and energy. I think he's awesome. How and I just think that will be so freaking cool. Give me some Alex Cross. Have you given so me a good I didn't movie know run. you were a huge crosshead. Well, not massive. But, I've got the, I've got yeah, the I, big ones. I've got like massive a... cross face. <laughs> Crosso! Crossack! Crossatron! <laughs> Have you read these books? I've read. Four of them, I Good think, for you. in my time. Yeah, you know, yeah. I met James Patterson. Jesus. I went when you were at Smith. Yeah, when I was in charge of, like, books. I'm in charge of book signings. But I turned up to this event in London. I ate a lot of volivons. And I said to James Patterson, Hey, Patterson, what about these books? He said, Oh, yeah, they're good. <laughs> I don't know. I was just I was there for the volivons, man. But, I was going to ask you, after he wiped the pastry off his waistcoat, what did he say back to Yeah. You? <laughs> he wasn't a big fan of um, Spider, the Spider film. Um, oh. Along came a spider. He's like, yeah. He remembers he went to the cin- uh, the cinema, the the preview or the premiere, and uh, and Morgan Freeman's there, and there's another woman in the house, and he's like, hey, how are you? And she's, oh, I'm fine. And uh, James Patterson said to the producers or the director, who is that woman? And they said, oh, that's Alex Cross's sister. Yeah. I didn't know she had a sister. Oh, God. But again, it's up to the filmmaker. They can do that. That's not actually a huge problem. But nonetheless, I love the fact that you're up for that. And also, Tyler Perry is crying. Crying. <laughs> so so there you go. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. That's I think great. it's right. And I think it's there. And I think it's not been done really. What is the right age for Alex Cross? I'm saying like 40s, right? Nice. Do you feel that? I haven't read the books. So if I've only got three. If he hadn't done Luther, like... Oh. Elba would be great. Well, I'm too, sure but... that's a massive influence. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think so. But yeah, he's not—he's not way nowhere near as old. He's a bit of a sex symbol too. Isn't Luther written by more... Neil Cross? So there's, there's a lot of double crossing going on. Oh my god! Oh, I'm just gonna quit Shepard, now. Keep going. Keep no, going. That's it. That's it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, wonderful. Um, that's good. I don't know what I've got there. I mean, well, oh, yeah, okay. Well, no. Um. They did make an adaptation of one of these books and I've never seen it and I don't really want to see it. But 
maybe I should. I've read the Flashman books. These are written by George MacDonald Frazier and they were written in the 70s mainly and then in the 80s, 90s and a little bit into the, the 2000s. They made 12 of these books and they made one film in the 70s with Malcolm McDowell as Flashman with, um, and it was written, like the script was written by George MacDonald Frazier and with a good director and so on and Alan Bennett, I want to say. Oh no, Alan Bennett. Someone, someone really good is in it as well and and also oliver reed is in it and so on and i don't want to see it because i don't see malcolm mcdowell at all as flashman i've read the books and i love the books and that that could be like just the first book could be an eight-part hbo mega budget like sharp type show and then the second book could be the second season and blah 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 the books go in different chronology uh, in terms of like his age like one book is like he's 17 the next book he's 50 the next book he's 35 and it jumps around you could do that with makeup you could i don't really want them to do different actors so you could do it with like the same actor but just do it in actual chronology so the actor ages naturally and they just do all of the books that would be good but I, I i fucking love those books and they they could be done so well uh and i and i you know with an unknown essentially as flashman um so so i would say flashman yeah that that oh, would be shit. that would make me happy if they did it right with a big budget and they got the tone right and the right actor playing flashman yeah those could be amazing so yeah, that's my answer to that one. I have to get into those. Oh god, those, they're yeah. fucking great, mate. Oh now be, that's basically it, but I have like a little extra bonus thing that I didn't include for you, which I'm just gonna say. Um little extra bonus round, unless there's anything there that I've forgotten. Was that the end of there your was list? A TV finale question. Oh, so good. No, no, I wasn't. So go on. Um what's... You had a what TV finale is the most satisfying slash least satisfying. Good stuff. Now, let's just say quickly, let's put Game of Thrones off the table. Ooh, no, okay. I know, I know, but uh, Game That's of Thrones... That's I could think of. Yeah, I know, isn't it? it uh, most people, I think, were very unsatisfied with the couple of last seasons of Game of Thrones. So, yes. But Can I say on the record, though, it's less about being unsatisfying and more about being rushed. And I think everyone landed on the board when I wanted them, but they rushed it. Yeah. And the vibe was extraordinary. It was like a World Cup game every week like the yeah. world was watching and it felt so cool yeah well for game of thrones at its peak during with, that yeah it was anyway. a joyous experience yeah. i will say um yeah they did rush it it was a bit of a shame and also yeah just in terms of mm, getting things sort of yeah it, it was unsatisfying they, they, they not only in terms of rushing but they just got things they, they hurried it yeah exactly they 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 they, they hurried they hurried that quite a so lot. i'm gonna struggle with least sheppy i have maybe you've got a better answer than me on this but i'll look i'll say my most quickly without I try oh, and... i'm so sorry i'm so sorry because i was sort of floundering there because i knew i had a thread that i wanted to pull so maybe there's yeah. like a little edit point here oh, it's fine we'll, we'll i'm gonna say this the second season of barry um, the finale of the second season of Barry did to me what the almost finale of Game of Thrones wanted to do. Spoilers for everything, but when Daenerys 
goes bad and sends the dragons out and turns into her heritage and destroys everything i was kind of left cold by that because of the hurry aspects and various things the end of barry season two when he goes all season without killing anyone and then in the moment it's kind of like funny games where you should be like yeah he's killing people again but you've grown to love the people who he kills and his relationship his friendship with the people who he kills at the end i was traumatized for a couple of weeks after that so so that's my main issue that's one of the most extraordinary tv shows yeah and are I you saw, on three? Have you done? I finished season? that. Yeah, it's oh. good stuff. But I will say, about the tiger layer. yeah. But yes, so Game of Thrones dropped the ball. Yes, I think you're right. They they really did lose something there. What yeah. about satisfying TV endings? I've got three. Good stuff. I've gone Better Call Saul, which is very recent, and we've obviously whole potted on it, Lovely. so I won't go again. Um, Americans, I oh. think, is extraordinary to the point where G and I watched the final episode again the following day oh, which just says everything you want to know about that final that's episode good. like we wanted to um, experience it again immediately oh, how nice. nice is that that's lo- and um, mm. and then uh, Sopranos oh nice now and that's quite controversial because well, some people would have that on the opposite side but for me my interpretation is yes you know that it's it a may, perfect ending it's if, perfect let's yeah. just say sort of spoilers but like if Tony went down like James Khan at the toll booth and then it ended it wouldn't be as good no. so the no. way it ended was was perfect absolutely uh, I loved the ending I was reading an article I think it was in the culture on Sunday Times a few years ago when I was at my mum's and it was about like the the most uh, like cliffhangers and ambiguity and ambigu- ambiguous endings and things to shows and it mentioned Mad Men as like the final episode of Mad Men being ambiguous. And I have to say, I was reading it and I felt really awkward and really embarrassed for the yeah. uh, for the journalist because it's like, oh, no, it's not ambiguous. The, the last 30 seconds or even 15 seconds of the final episode of Mad Men, you, it's one of those things that you and I were talking about earlier where the last second or the last 15 seconds or the last five minutes where everything comes together and you suddenly realize what you've been watching if it's a film for the last few hours or a tv show for the last 10 hours like the everything in that final season of mad men is building to something and you don't know what it is in and until the last 15 seconds of the final show where he created the most iconic advert in television history yeah. and he wins and he becomes mecca you know yeah you know he, he he transcends everything and it's genius so i always felt like oh so the editor should have stepped in on that article and said oh put a, a tentative hand on the shoulder and said maybe you need to rewatch it so mad men is one of the best endings uh sopranos i agree can we like Listeners, if you haven't seen Sopranos, go forward a minute. What's your interpretation of the ending? He, he gets shot to death. Yeah, totally agree. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. and I love it because it stayed with me forever. Yes, on that basis. Yes. If he doesn't, it doesn't stay with me. Oh, he just continues to live under the veil of threat. Okay, fine. You can end but, TV you know, shows. Like, let's say Cheers. You end shows where it's like this will continue or next generation the final episode of that this will continue we're just stopping the cameras 
and that works. But certain shows need a definitive ending. It's not ambiguity. It's not ambiguous. It's Tony Soprano gets fucking shot yeah, to death. And you don't need to see that. Half a second it's... after the cut, yeah. his face oh. isn't there anymore. Yeah. 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 It's oh, it. good stuff. It's the perfect way to go. It's perfect. Yeah. No, it is perfect. And that's what makes it perfect. It's the yeah. only way it's perfect. And yeah. they know what they're doing. And it's ridiculous they say otherwise, but they keep the, the well, aura around. They, it. quote unquote, I mean, in terms of people who don't like that because they're like, what? Go fuck yourself. Come on now. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. So that's fine. Yep. That's wonderful. By the way, I mentioned Next Generation, the final episode. That's an amazing ending. The final episode of Buffy is brilliant oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I'll say that as well. Did I write anything else? Not really. That's wonderful. Buffy, like for me, ended quickly. Like, not quickly, but like, I, because I did it in, like, there was no pause between seasons for me. I did right. it all during lockdown. So that, right. therefore, when we get to the end, it's like, Whoa, I want more, I want more. <laughs> like the whole town's collapsed. Like, talk to me. It's so epic. Yeah. You know, there is a comic strip that Joss wrote it, oh, which is nice. which is season eight. Um, so oh, season eight exists in comic strip, yes. And also, frankly, Angel season five is a continuation after Buffy as well. Because oh, okay. Angel and Buffy, Angel season one is Buffy season four, and they run simultaneously. And you can watch episode one of Buffy season four and episode one of season one of Angel and they go two, 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 three, 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 you know, and it works. And then it does separate a little bit. But then at the end, when it all comes together, season five happens after the final episode of Buffy and it continues certain plot points and and it's joyous and it works very well. And speaking of which, the final episode of Angel, Angel was cancelled before it's time and Whedon and co had to sort of scramble and write an ending but the ending is actually perfect for Angel as a show because Buffy was a finale and she will continue but it was a finale it's the end of Sunnydale it's the end of this life it's the end of her teen or 20s it's that's it and it works and it's the end of the big bad who's been there from the beginning and and so on whereas Angel the fight goes on and so the abrupt ending which they had to scramble in the like the last half season they were suddenly like oh shit this is going to be the last season it does work for that show because it's not the same as Buffy so I like that ending I would have liked had Whedon and co been given an entire like season six and said this is the last season so they could start from the beginning knowing it was the end nonetheless it works very well so that's a little shout out as well and also deep space nine has a nice ending as well which is quite satisfying so good old star trek nice quick little thing yeah what's the extra the little extra thing who would you rather be you got your little names jeff would you rather be bridges or daniels we're talking life we're talking looks we're talking filmography Look, I prefer to be Daniels, That's but I love Bridges more. Why would you rather be Daniels? Arachnophobia? Arachnophobia, Dumb and Dumber, Walking with Sorkin, nice. or Newsroom, everything nice. like that. Because the, he hits beats that I kind of like in his career, and he's had fun. Uh, but Bridges, I love him. 
I love him. Yeah. And I haven't watched this older guy thing. No, I haven't yet, either. But it looks cool. I, I would yeah. go for Bridges. So yeah, you, yeah. You, I get why you would. You well, can take your Daniels. That's good. We won't fight nice, over though. it. Um, this is brilliant. You got your go. Chris. Oh, God. Pine, Evans, Hemsworth or Pratt? Do you have your answer already? You don't want to give me yours yet, do you? I'm I gonna... want to hear yours first because this is yeah. off the fly. All these okay. other questions, listeners, were prepared and given in advance. These ones are sprung. I mean, I'm going... Look, who wouldn't want to be Chris Hemsworth, right? I think he's chill. It's close because I think... Um, Pine, which is Captain Kirk, two, yes. and you know Wonder Woman's fella. Yes, like that's that's number two for me. Harry that... Stoll's his best friend. <laughs> oh yeah, he spouted him allegedly. Whatever, um, but yeah, the um. So, right, yes, it's definitely it's Hemsworth, man, because nice. I think he feels chill. I don't know that he's necessarily the better career, but yeah, I like who he is and what he gets to be. That's and, like, nice. Yeah, lovely. I would okay. go for Evans. Um, yeah. Simon Evans, man, but that's that's great. Um, then we got your Tom, your, your Cruz, or your Hanks. Hanks for me. Yeah. Yeah. Without even blinking. Oh, good stuff. I prefer not to live the lies Tom has to live and the chaos. And well, that lies. sounds liable. But, yeah, but it does sound liable. Yeah. But not in the... terms of filmography, do you prefer your Hanks to your Cruz? I love the Ron Hanks guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He is the Jimmy Stewart of today. He's the I think man. it's Hanks. Nice. Are you Cruz? I don't know. It's so I love close. Cru- I, I love find Cruz it still, very yeah. hard to yeah, say. That's a I can't point. relate to either because Hanks is so likable and I'm not. And Cruz <laughs> is a superhuman and I'm not. So I can't relate to either. So it's hard. No, me neither. Whereas, of course, I can relate to Chris Evans. So that's fine. <laughs> um, so it's very tough for me. I'm gonna. I, I will say Cruz just to, you know, balance out your Hanks, but it's it's basically the same. I think, to be fair, it's Hanks in the 90s, mm. and then, you know, but it's such a 90s, isn't it? And but then, then Cruise in the 90s, man, you know? Yeah. It's tough. It's very, that's the hardest. Yeah. Final one, Sylvester, Stallone or McCoy? <laughs> that could even be the edit out. <laughs> that could be the end. That could be a hard out. <laughs> I think that'd be amazing if we should do that. <laughs> Because I think we know which way we <laughs> Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I'm not even going to say. It's obvious. Obvious. Oh. And I never want to know, for sure. <laughs> Jimmy, this has been a delight. It it's been wonderful. It's been happy. You'll Let notice... Let shake your hand, because I can never do it at the end of a podcast. Oh, that's nice. We... Yeah. I look, I'm reaching through the screen. <laughs> Yeah, we, we connected. And you'll notice my questions are printed on the back by accident. I printed out um, one of the pages of my Teen Wolf 2 uh, <laughs> pot pitch. So it's just by coincidence. So that's nice. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this, if you listen to all of it. This was absolutely lovely. Uh, thank you to Jimmy. Thank you to everyone. Thank you for all the noises in the background, any dog barking that you heard. You know, that's life. You've got to love it. So it's good stuff. Any final thoughts, Jimmy? Any way to sign out from this behemoth? Uh, no, I was going to do it. I was going to channel Lena Roy Kent to try and bring it back to Goldstein, but I can't fucking be bothered. Just leave it, you cunt.
We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 